Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Geek Vibes Hey everyone out there, how are you guys doing? Another amazing Wrestling Geeks Alliance. This is Dane, your host. Uh, you know, just bringing you guys the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news from the last week. Um, a big show because we've had one show this week, so we got a lot to go over, a lot of news items. Um, you know, it's going to be a fun show. Reviews over Raw. Uh, AEW, NXT, and SmackDown, and our predictions for Backlash. Before we get into that, let me introduce my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing much better. Apologize uh, to the fans listening out there uh, for missing the show or or, uh, giving you one mega episode, I should say. I was uh, feeling a lot like crap. So (laughs) apologies, but uh, great to be back. Great to be feeling good. Uh, How was your week, Dan? It's been good, uh, you know, solid work week, you know, not, not nothing too crazy, but uh, just enough to keep busy and um, some some pretty good wrestling. I watched an excellent match from last night that I'm uh, looking forward to eventually talking about in about a year uh, because we're going to have that long of an episode. I can just see <laughs> the future. Um, and uh, yeah, just uh, just doing my thing. Nice. <laughs> But yeah, a um, lot of stuff to talk about before we go, you know, into the news. Uh, we do have a news item uh, that, unfortunately, uh, wrestler legend, NWA wrestling legend, uh, Mr. Wrestling 2, has passed away. Uh, Johnny Walker uh, was his actual name. Uh, basically, he was 85. It was announced on uh, Wednesday morning. Uh Credentials for this guy is ridiculous. I'm not going to act like I've seen a bunch of his matches, but uh, to be able to hold the NWA World Tag Team titles, the NWA United States Junior Heavyweight, uh, the National Heavyweight, the Georgia Heavyweight, uh, in his 35-plus year um, you know, career going from 1955 to 1990, uh, you know, just a, a badass. Uh, the next person that would, of course, get the Mr. Wrestling gimmick would be Steve Carino. Um, and, yeah, the passing, I mean, 85 years old, had a long life, uh, was a very top wrestler. Um, I don't know if any of those are the ma- – I don't think any of these are the main NWA World Heavyweight Champion, but, I mean, still, the credentials of having all those other belts throughout the duration of his career is pretty amazing. And, uh, yeah, he uh, will be missed from the wrestling community. Uh, We also, on Thursday, uh, went by the fifth year anniversary of Dusty Rhodes passing. The American Dream is surely missed. And uh, just uh, wanted to mention that. Chris, anything to say about either wrestler? Well, obviously, we love Dusty Rhodes and have talked about Dusty Rhodes at at such length on this show. He's in our... 
has he made our Hall of Fame? I believe he has. Better. Um, he's uh, absolutely one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Definitely in my top five, as we've talked about previously. Um, absolute legend. Still sad just thinking about, uh, like on that day, I looked and I saw I changed my uh, profile pic to that great black and white dusty photo where he's bleeding and he's got the... Uh, <laughs> the American dream son of a plumber, like a ringer t-shirt on. And I got a little sad. I'm not going to lie. And then I went and watched that, uh, WWE, which is great. It's one of their best, uh, memoriam videos of dusty roads where it starts out with, uh, my hand reaching out and touching your hand to the great, uh, that great ass promo of dusty. And then lots of just, yeah, just great ass, uh, memoriam video. One of the best that they've done. And they do do a pretty good job of, of uh, putting those things together for the most part. Uh, with Mr. Wrestling number two, the first thing I have to say is I can tell a little bit of a story here. This is my grandmother's favorite wrestler of all time <laughs> because she grew up going to the Mountain Center and watching Georgia Championship Wrestling and the Omni, obviously. And uh, he's a huge name here in Georgia. Like Mr. Wrestling number two is was the guy. Like he's up there with like Tommy Rich as far as... <laughs> Like from this area, big ass names from Georgia. I mean, obviously AJ Styles now, but Mr. Wrestling Number Two is a certified legend here in Georgia. Um, and the cra- the crazy thing is, and I don't think people realize this, but like, in, he's he was voted the most popular wrestler of the year in 1980. Think about all the names that would have been out during this time period. That's the PWI Awards. So like, Mr. Wrestling Number Two is a huge fucking deal. I think kind of gets looked over because he was more of a southern territorial wrestler and they like you said i don't think that he ever got the main title but this would have also been the time of you know people like terry funk and flair and dory who had long ass reigns and could be trusted to travel everywhere whereas it seemed more to me um with mr wrestling number two that he was more of a guy that was content in living and working in uh, the South and Mid-South, Georgia Championship Wrestling in, in Florida, uh, in Deep South, obviously. But uh, that's absolute legend. Like I said, my grandma uh, once talked, she told me when I was a kid, she's like talking about how fake Lucha Wrestling was when I was watching WCW. <laughs> so that's bullshit. I watched Mr. Wrestling number two almost kill a guy. That's back when wrestling was real. <laughs> Just obviously kidding with me. <laughs> but that's that's my story of, Mr. Wrestling number two and, and obviously going to be missed. I, I told my grandma and she was very sad about the passing of Mr. Wrestling number two. And there's a great story about him creating the first mask that you can find out there with some shoot interviews um, where he's talking about it. It basically was, I'm trying to remember how he put it. It it's essentially, it comes down to being a lady's garment that he turned it, his wife turned into a mask. And that was how the first Mr. Wrestling number two mask was created, if I'm remembering correctly from the story. So if you get a chance, go check that out. Absolute legend, especially here in Georgia. Um, Well-deserved. Rest in peace. Lived a long, great life, and it is one hell of a performer. Later today, I'll try to post some of my favorite matches from him um, up. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll let you, I'll, I will uh, post that out to our Facebook site. So go to Geek Vibes Nation and join the group, and Chris will have some more, um, you know, videos. Uh, now I'm going to be able to, you know, 
learn more about Mr. Wrestling too. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, sad of his passing and we're about to do the, the 10 seconds, but you know, I love Dusty. We don't talk too much about him. You know, obviously everything that he contributed towards WCW way back in the day. And obviously recently with NXT, you know, along with Triple H and Regal, I think that he was one of those main uh, people. I think Sean kind of not necessarily took his place because no one took his place. But I've always said there's been the Sean generation and there's been the Dusty generation of NXT since it was FCW. Um, And uh, Dusty was an amazing entertainer, wrestler. Five years. It seems like yesterday, him and Piper just back to back their passings and just like a slap in the face. But in, in in something more of, you know, something to remember of them. You know, I love doing the fantasy matches and stuff. So I'm gonna ask you, and I have my own answers that. Well, I'll at least figure them out. <laughs> I'm gonna pass it to you, Kristen. Give you a past legend that you wished Dusty would have feuded with. You know, past as in I guess. Uh, 90s and before so the last century and then someone out of recent times that you would have loved to have seen dusty work with oh man i'll go with recent first uh, because dusty worked with so many people that me pulling one out of my uh my hat is going to be a little tougher on that one but uh for current at jericho i mean a feud with chris jericho i think would be absolutely brilliant as as far as Jericho playing the arrogant prick almost like he does now uh, versus your blue collar Dusty Rhodes, especially if they're both at the height of their popularities and career. I think that would be absolutely phenomenal. Um, And they both can work that more brawling type style and Jericho can give you a few high spots here. Um, I think that would be one hell of a match. I guess if I had a second follow up, I mean, Sean, because who doesn't want to see arrogant prick Sean versus Dusty Rhodes? Those and are great then, answers, man. <laughs> yeah, and then I guess if uh for and this may have occurred. Um I will actually this hasn't occurred because I'm gonna I'm gonna change it up. I would love to have seen the natural Dustin Rhodes and Dusty Rhodes, both at their prime, what I consider their primes, versus the funks. I think that would have oh. been a fucking incredible match for like the NWA titles or some shit in Texas. Like that would have been mind blowing shit. I love it, man. Um, I I kind of got a runners up for for modern talent too. Just it just seems kind of fitting. But honestly, out of modern wrestlers, uh, one of his proteges, uh, Kevin Owens, who I think that we've com- kind of compared. Different, obviously, because he doesn't have that uh, that flavor that Dusty could only have. But the two of them, him bring him in. Maybe the storyline is his, that's his protege and Kevin just, you know, steps over the line and starts becoming a heel throughout the duration of it. And you have the two of them beating the shit out of each other. But I mean, obviously, if we have the heel version of Cody, him and Dusty, Dusty had his prime as a baby face and Cody, because I feel like it's going to happen very soon as a heel uh, now would be very interesting as far as the past. I mean, I kind of, it's the same thing with Ric Flair. I'm going to take it out of the 90s, but I'm going to pick The Rock just because so much smack talk, a heel rock, like, you know, probably like 98 rock right after he was in Nation of Domination. 
and just building himself against Dusty in his prime would be pretty fucking fun for the build-up and everything else. I, the the Rock would be great, especially if it was like a version of the corporate Rock, since we yes. all know the backstory of Vince McMahon and how he kind of shit on Dusty and put him in polka dots and hated Southern wrestling. Was Sapphire, <laughs> which they made that work, and Sapphire is a great fucking manager. If she's not in their Hall of Fame, she deserves to be in their Hall of Fame. Oh, I agree, but there's obviously a reason why he used to have, like, you know, Baby Doll and stuff like that, and then Vince is like, here's Sapphire. Yeah. Hey, up yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, uh, I managed Rock set out to take down the American Dream, both in their prime. That would be a very fun and very great storyline. It would have, it would yeah. almost have a little bit of shades of, to some extent, Rock Hogan. Um, yeah. where you get more of a heel rock in this giant clash of these two fucking legends or, you know, rock Cena. Um, It'll play out for Dusty, like him and Flair almost with their chemistry. You know? Yeah. Since rock's I mean, arrogance is pretty high. Dusty, absolutely phenomenal. Those are, those are all great. I mean, the thing I the thing is, I guarantee you that if I go and look it up, Dustin and Dusty have worked a match with the Funks. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, in That's their prime, still, if they haven't, <laughs> awesome fucking concept. That's a lot of fun. That that's the thing about Dusty is he wrestled most of my favorite wrestlers from that time period. Um, I mean, I guess, and see, even if I go to Japan, like I don't know, Dusty versus Muda, did that ever happen? That would be cool. How about how about Dusty versus Cactus at FCW? <laughs> that would be that would be great. There's going to be so Wild. much color. <laughs> Dusty is going to have to get a blood transfusion after. <laughs> Baby, just give me one transfusion, all right? If you will. Ah, miss you, Dust. Um, thanks for everything, and thank you, Mr. Wrestling, too. All right, so we'll give him 10 seconds uh, out of respect. All right. Well, let's move on to an article that I'm not really uh, happy to, you know, talk about. It's actually, it kind of sucks, but the Philadelphia-based indie promotion, Evolve Wrestling, um, has flourished, uh, you know, about a year ago when they had their Darby Allens, their Austin Theories, their, you know, a lot of stars, basically, that recently, uh, Matt Riddle, Drew Gulak, they were doing pretty well for themselves. And uh, the promotions had a multitude of stars that have done really well in WWE throughout the years. And they've been partnering with NXT and the network has shown events for them, uh, more anniversary stuff than anything, but still. And, um, you know, Gabe Sapolsky's uh, promotion apparently might be uh, crumbling. And from what Wrestling Observer Newsletter said, that uh, WWE may soon own Evolved outright, their whole library and their promotion. Um, I don't know what that says for the wrestlers. I guess it's based on their contracts, obviously, of what would happen. They have some wrestlers that they've used in NXT and not really committed to. Um, I can't remember what the gentleman's name is, but he was the Brazilian guy that apparently, I think what they kind of built it is that he was a part of the same training place that you know, Vondelay and Anderson and Shogun 
all we're at, but had that that Brazilian style. He was at he was in the first episode and a couple after that, and then he has not been on NXT since they've been on USA. And I thought he was awesome, but they they got him. They have that one guy that beat. Um, I I should have their names in front of me. I'm sorry, guys. One guy that beat um Austin Aries for, for the unification of the titles. Uh, that's got like kind of like a dusty look, if you will. I forgot what his name is. He's also been on NWA as of recently. So, you know, still got plenty of talent. I don't know what would that mean for them. Uh, kind of sucks. I'm just hoping that the talent, you know, will be shuffled. And and if this does happen, at least, uh, to stuff that they can do afterwards, just like anyone that gets laid off from their job, um, kept possibly a good majority of them for NXT, I would assume. And I hope that Gabe, you know, uh, Paul Heyman's original protege uh, can get some type of job creatively uh, within the company, uh, preferably on NXT, working along Jeremy Borash and Triple H, you know, and William Regal. Those three seem to have a really good thing going. And to add Gabe's uh, wisdom in there, I think would be really good. He tends to piss off younger talent. And I think there are guys that have worked for him that are in the company. So I don't know how they feel about Gabe, but you know, Evolve has been one of those promotions, like I've said, with MLW and PWG that's contributed contribute it's it's like the second big step. The first step is is finding your place in the indies of your state and the top indie of the state. And then you go to either Evolve, MLW, you know, PW or uh, which we call pro, pro wrestling gorilla, and then move on from there. Uh, you know, an impact, a ring of honor, an NWA, and then AW, AEW or NXT. And, you know, that's that's the levels that it goes to. So, uh, Chris, what do you think about all this? And uh, what do you think is going to happen from it? I mean, hopefully, WWE hires Gabe Sapolsky as a talent scout because if you look at how many careers and things that he's built, both through Ring of Honor, if I'm not mistaken, and Evolve, and the current situation in wrestling and all of these guys kind of passing through Gabe's hands at one point in time. I mean, he's an invaluable resource, especially if you're looking at developmental. I mean, right now, Darby Allen's hot as hell, right? But he was a Gabe Sapolsky guy. Huge star in Evolve. I mean, the the hand, the, the behind-the-back handcuff spot, that was like him and Gabe's, uh, him, and, uh, him and Gabe creation. Uh, if you want to watch a really cool kind of documentary, a mini documentary about Gabe Sapolsky, and I kind of recommend it to everyone, the other Vice wrestling show, The Wrestlers, uh, they follow Austin Theory, Darby Allen, Gabe Sapolsky, and a few others. I think even Eddie Kingston's in there, if I'm not mistaken, um, talking about getting those guys to the next level and, and what Evolve is and how it kind of is a feeder for a lot of these larger companies. And unfortunately, much like Ring of Honor, um, without Sinclair backing them to be able to keep some of the bigger names around, Evolve has just kind of lost a lot of his talent. I mean, like you said, Austin Theory, Shotzi Blackheart, Drew Gulak, Matt Riddle, these are all people that were in Evolve two, three years ago who were (laughs) on television for WWE. Uh, yeah, and then so. Darby for AEW, Ethan Page for uh, for uh, what you call it, Impact. Like all of his main stars have been basically swapped out in the last year and a half. And I mean, he can't he can't blame them for that because they're he can't 
they that promotion cannot pay them what WWE or AEW can pay them. So that's it's the same thing as Ring of Honor losing like you know Tyler Black and Kevin Owens and El Generico and uh, once again all top stars that kind of passed through both Gabe Sapolsky and Delirious to some extent. So I mean if they're smart they'll do something with Gabe Sapolsky. I think he's a great looking mind. He does tend to rub people the wrong way. Uh, but so does Paul Heyman. And sometimes you need that. Some of yep. Paul Heyman's best shit is when he's pissing other people off and, and kind of bucking against the grain. But uh, it's very sad to hear that Evolve is kind of going to be no more, especially after, mm-hmm. like I said, like three or four years ago with uh, Gulak and Riddle kind of at the top of that card. They were firing on all cil- cylinders. So it's, yeah, it's just really sad to see. And there's just so much wrestling and so much competition. And, you know, Evolve doesn't have a TV deal. I thought them joining WWE would be WWE using them almost as a territory and putting their stuff on the network. But outside of that one event, um, we really didn't get too much out of that. I mean, I thought that was a great opportunity for those two companies to kind of work together and give you a different style more of an AEW style of wrestling. Because, I mean, NXT to some extent still isn't um, like MLW or AEW as far yeah. as more of a modern presentation of wrestling. Yep, I agree, man. And like I said, I hope that everything, if this were to happen, you know, which it seems like it's inevitable at this point, it, 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 I wish that there was partnership that I thought there was going to be, that you kind of mentioned. Uh, where their stuff was going to air at WWE, helping each other out. But obviously, you know, it's kind of weird. Similar to ECW in the 90s, that didn't really correlate. It's instead, well, the business is done. Let's grab the assets and grab the whole entire library. And then, boom, we have that now as a part of the whole entire product. I just hope that everyone finds jobs after this. Um, If this were to happen, I keep on saying it might not. And I hope that uh, Gabe, especially creatively, gets some stuff done. Um, you know, we have a couple guys native of Atlanta. I forgot what I'm trying to remember his name. That's a part of Evolve, but he's the guy who trained Austin Theory. Um, that I'd love to see get a part of NXT. Um, yeah, why am I? I think his last name's Fox. I've seen I've seen so many matches at Southern Honor. Hey. hey. Yeah, AR Fox from eight. He trained Fox. with he trained at Mr. Hughes's school, which was uh, A4W, I believe, originally. Yeah, and he so. trained a bunch of people. Like I think AJ Styles even passed through that school. But AR Fox for a long time was like a main trainer of a lot of people and has had incredible He's matches. He was wrestler. on he was on that Evolve card, wasn't he? Yep. He was. I think yeah, he was in yeah, the so. so you know, some certain guys that are still there. Um I think it's Ruiz Hua is, is who I'm thinking about. You know, other people, I hope that they get chances outside of this, you know, very quickly. It's hard because it's not, you know, now stuff's kind of starting to, start, you know, impacts started back up. MLW this weekend's about to start back up. Um, so we're getting different places, but also those same places aren't making as much money as they once were. Uh, and it looks like Impact might have taken a huge chunk of the, uh, the the people that were laid off from WWE, from at least what they were teasing. So, you know, MLW is another place that I love watching wrestling on in very condensed form. And, uh, yeah, anything else to say about it, Chris? 
No, I mean, I think you covered it. Ruiz is the is the guy that wore the Brazilian jiu-jitsu gi, right? Yeah, they build him from Brazil, and I think they, they claimed at least uh, that he was a part of – or he went to the same gym like the, uh, the Silvas went to and shit. I hope they do something with him. I could understand them not wanting to do that because, like at first because they had two kind of catch wrestlers already on their roster with Riddle and Shayna at the time. But now that they're both up, it'd be the perfect time to bring someone like him into NXT to give a, a different vibe to those matches. Bring and the give Muay someone... Thai clinch into wrestling. Yeah, I mean, even if you put him on like the UK show, for instance like British catch wrestling versus jujitsu. I think that that could be some really fun shit. I thought you had one of the better matches on that evolve card. Um, and his two, yep. I think what two NXT matches I thought were pretty good. Um, but like you said, they didn't really, they didn't do anything else with him. So it's, it's a weird, um, hopefully they'll revisit that because I, that he, I feel like he is someone that could be a star for them if booked properly, just cause no one, I mean, I, there's not any wrestlers out there wrestling in like geese. And being like a heel and using that to your advantage, like full gi jujitsu combat, like choking fuckers out with your sleeves and stuff. Yep. Like that would be pretty badass. Yep. Definitely liked him. That's what I was saying back then when they were trying to like throw as much as they could. And they kind of had a different feel to NXT on the network that I think they've now kind of gone back to, which is a good thing. But then I, I was saying to you, it's like Street Fighter. It's like every fight's like two guys from two different parts of the world, two different styles. They were they were trying different things at the beginning. But uh, yeah, I'd like to see him on the product. But uh, hope everything goes well with Evolve and Gabe, and they can continue to do promotional stuff. We need more wrestling than than less wrestling. But if it's in the WWE hands, I know they're going to grab a bunch of that talent. I'm sure a lot of the talent that's there, maybe if they're a little bit less experienced. We'll be able to find promotions to work for, and I think that Gabe will be an asset for WWE. I'm just assuming Triple H is going to want to have his, uh, his his knowledge and and whatnot. So that's about I it. Mean, it would be. I mean, this is kind of crazy, but you know, if NWA is available to start filming again with fans, uh, bringing in Gabe to help huh. book some of that show might not be the worst idea for them. I don't know what Billy Morgan's feelings of Gabe is, but uh, when you look around the rest of the wrestling landscape, a lot of these companies do have really good minds at this point. Uh, But, you know, him going to NWA, that's like, that would be a big get and he could do a lot there. And he's had relationships there uh, with wrestlers that are currently in that company. So that would be a big one. I would say if they close the doors and WWE does buy it, hopefully they'll do the right thing and at least do, like the WWE one night stand or like last show, like I like an NXT crossover, maybe do something with Gulak and Riddle again and, and give it like and Shotzi and have one kind of send off for Evolve if they purchase it. That would be awesome. That would definitely be awesome. Um, you know, kind of a connecting thing uh, with you know, Gabe and Evolve and NWA that I kind of wanted, I almost forgot, but I kind of want to talk about a bit. We have Ricky Starks, who is an awesome wrestler. Um, Really enjoyed him in NWA from what I saw from him. He worked for Evolve, uh, and he recently left NWA. And he was, I I forgot what championship he had, but he got screwed over by... um, why can't I think of his name? Um, 
the Miz's partner that would copy all of his stuff. Oh, Morrison? No, Aaron Stevens. Just, he got no, screwed over no, by no, Aaron uh, Stevens and lost his belt, and then he kind of went off. But he was good on the mic, high energy, really big baby face. And uh, apparently, rumor is, Chris, that he might be making his way to AEW. Do you think, based on what you saw from Ricky and NWA, that he would do well in the, you know, with the smaller guys that they have uh, in matches? Or will he kind of, you know, there's they have so much talent, would he, would he be overshadowed, basically? Uh, I mean, is he going to be, if, if he's just coming in to do Dark, I think it's fine, right? And they're going to have a second show starting... I think they said the beginning of next year because they did sign that TV deal a while back. We haven't heard anything about that in a while, but mm-hmm. they, I mean, so them loading up on talent with the knowledge of you're going to have two shows in theory, plus AEW dark, uh, not a bad idea. I don't see him as like a top guy in AEW. I, I do think he's going to be overshadowed, especially because they're building young talent already there. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's it's so hard to tell because especially with NWA, they wrestle a very old school style on purpose there, whereas AEW is kind of the complete opposite. <laughs> so it's hard for yeah. me to think about think about crossovers unless you're talking about someone like James Storm who's kind of done both or uh, you know Mr. Kennedy those kind of guys. But yeah, some of the some of these other guys I haven't seen as much from and mostly seen them just on NWA. It's it's hard to to say. Um, Aaron, you're, Aaron Stevens is uh, is he the one that's you said he's he's getting he's the one that's getting released right? No, no, no. Ricky Starks. Okay, Ricky Starks. Yeah. Okay. I was making sure that I didn't just say all that and we were talking about I, two different people <laughs> because Stevens actually, obviously would be fine because he worked with you know WWE. Exactly. So. Yeah. Exactly. I was about to say the same thing. Um, yeah. So interesting stuff. Let's move on. Uh, let's move on to this Randy Orton stuff. All right. So I'll try to go through this as quickly as possible. So Randy Orton made uh, some some comments on Twitter. Uh, his comment was, "Looks like oh no no that's the begin- that's the bottom of it." Heard WWE NXT uh, takeover in your house was great. Slapping my legs for you guys. Sincerely, hashtag leg slap. Which Tommaso Ciampa, who's pretty much the mainstay uh, leader, if you will, locker room leader over at NXT, said, my daughter has been having trouble sleeping. Luckily, I found a remedy. Randy Orton matches. Better than NyQuil. Sincerely, an entire locker room who busted their asses. Uh, And then Randy responded with, looks like I hurt the feelings of the self-appointed locker room leader of a wrestling school. Let me know what time leg slap class starts so I can take my game to the next level. So after this, this was kiboshed pretty quickly uh, and taken down uh, from what Dave Metzler said. Vince was furious about this. Uh, the, The verbiage that I got was that he doesn't like wrestlers trying to start an angle on Twitter. Uh, it, now, you could, like me, uh, believe that this wasn't them starting anything and them just going back and forth. Um, I'm sure Triple H was not happy with Randy Orton's comments because I feel like he... I feel like, well, besides the fact that Triple H is in control of this, 
Um, regardless what advice Triple H gave to Randy to get him to slow down, he's understands or he understands the evolution of wrestling and how it's gone. Uh, but Randy was what to two thousands, what I think Tommaso Ciampa for him was this last decade and going forward, you know, his kind of his protege, he's put a lot into, um, so with everything, there's been many interviews involving with Reg, Reg, Edge and Randy Orton. Lately, uh, he did an Inside the Ropes one with a multitude of different media outlets that called in, asked questions, and also one with Corey Graves. And basically, he doesn't make it sound, I don't know, it it, it sounds to me, and I could be fucking wrong, and I'm not usually the one to say this, it sounds like a fucking work, and I feel like we're going to be seeing Randy Orton probably soon on NXT to pop the ratings a bit. Because he was talking about how he would love to work with the guys in NXT, He's been, he just, he admittedly just got recently in the last like couple of months into the, but he just would like to, you know, and I mean, this could oppose Sean, someone he respects, uh, Triple H, obviously, but he would like to get them because he feels, you know, and, and everyone knows the methodical style of Randy Orton. Uh, back when he was doing his things in OVW and Jim Cornette was telling him to slow the fuck down. And then when he gets to the main product, and that's exactly what Triple H and, you know, uh, less is more, Ric Flair instilled that in his head. He said it's kind of funny because now that's become him. Because back in the day, he was doing fucking slingshots to the outside in OVW. His his version of a dropkick was a backflip dropkick, which doesn't – I've not seen many people even try to do. But now he kind of wishes that he could give that to the new guys – and um, I know that you and I know that a lot of people, and me included, depending on the match, finds a lot of the stuff that he does pretty slow. Randy's known for being good at the in and outs, you know, the the reaction to stuff, the selling, uh, that type of thing. Um, and he thinks that there's a lot of incredibly talented people over there. But the problem is that if you do a bunch of big spots back to back to back. There's not one that's memorable, um, which is not fair because I think I've seen plenty of matches where there were memorable moments. But I can understand what he's saying to an extent, uh, you know, and he would really if he was told to go down there by Vincent Hunter, that he would definitely love to work with a lot of the talent on there. He sees a lot of good talent. Uh, He even talked about a story about how much respect he had for Austin Theory. Because Austin came up to him and basically wanted to do his his version of the TKO, where it's more of a fisherman's carry into that. And uh, Austin's a big Randy Orton fan. Uh, I think that he said that his two f- favorite wrestlers were Randy Orton and AJ Styles. And I kind of see stylistically from things that I th- it makes sense, basically. So Austin came up to him and said, hey, it's not exactly. He shook his hand. You know, which a lot of people are scared to do that whole entire concept. And Randy didn't give a shit about that back in the day. I will even admit that back when he was all fucked up on uh, pills and and drinking all the goddamn time and young in his 20s. But he just was like, hey, I know that you do the RKO. Do you care if I do this at all? And Randy was taken back that he would ask him about it because everyone does a super kick. And he doesn't understand why Sean Rents said how he basically said to people. So Randy's being Randy. He's pretty arrogant. I feel like this is going to be like a situation like Charlotte where Randy's going to come down and do a program. Um, I don't know about what Ciampa. It's kind of conflicting based on what Vince, his reaction was to it, but him thinking that they were trying to set something up and he hates people doing that shit on Twitter. 
Uh, and I don't know. I think there might have been feelings hurt. The whole leg slap thing is something that's there. Uh, I think everyone kind of does that now. Um, but I also see a lot of people not doing it. So, you know, I don't think it's fair. <laughs> but I don't know. I have no idea what the hell this is. Randy Orton can be an extreme prick. He makes it sound like he, he really would like to go down there and actually work with the guys to kind of like, you know, show him more the WWE style that they'll be introduced with once they get there. And that's something we've talked about as being kind of a problem is that the guys go up there and they slow them the fuck down and they have to learn now the WWE style as, com- as compared to what they were doing in NXT. So who knows? But uh, Chris, I know that you have a lot to say about this and I have talked way too fucking much. So what do you think? Give me your opinions on this. I mean, Based on what Randy said, he just got drunk and said some shit. <laughs> so I don't know. That could be a work. I mean, Randy has said stuff like this in the past. I mean, if you go back and longtime listeners of the show two years ago, he said something very similar about the NXT roster. Um, and I buried the shit out of him. And I also think I buried his dad indirectly <laughs> during that. So if you can go back and find that episode. You did. Uh, <laughs> um yeah, there, there's, I mean, that's just how Orton feels about wrestling. It's his style. He works more of an old school wrestling style, more methodical, slow paced. Not my favorite. I think he has good matches with other really talented wrestlers. You know, uh, obviously, like him and Batista were was a was a good matchup. Uh, him and Kurt Angle. It's, I mean, it's not like Randy Orton's had terrible matches or anything. It's just very different mindset and thought process and the leg slap thing. He kind of indirectly insulted a lot of people on SmackDown as well. Like, I don't know, one of the greatest tag teams WWE's ever had, which would be the Usos. Uh, yep. So uh, it's not just the, uh, I mean, I know it was a direct shot at the NXT guys, but there's people in the main roster that do that shit. I mean, Seth Rollins does, like, will when he hits a super kick, we'll give it a little extra. So whatever. I mean, if it's setting up a storyline between him and Ciampa, those two methodical madmen going against each other trying to kill one another that's fine i don't think this is the week to be doing that considering wwe has booked you as having the greatest match of all time or whatever the hell they're calling it i would be more worried about sitting in a ring with edge thinking about how you can even try to live up to expectations and definitely not calling out you know nxt who's had the only five star matches your company's had since Taker and fucking, you know, Sean. So, like, it's fun. I mean, they've had great matches and stuff, but like, if you really look at it, like, the Ciampa Gargano shit is the best wrestling matches WWE has put out, in my opinion, like, bar none. And that's NXT. So, you're taking a direct shot at people who are very well respected in matches that are very well respected um, to complain about some super kicks which i don't even know which match he's talking about specifically on in your house because i didn't see a whole lot of that more of the matches were kind of more brawly i mean unless he's talking like damian damian priest match maybe i'm trying to think of what match or, or one of the the three-way match maybe it could the, have been choppas because choppas didn't last long yeah he got his ass kicked by killer cross and I'm trying to think of Johnny's. Johnny, uh, I mean, he got his ass kicked by fucking Keith Lee. It was a tag match. They, they're they known for doing it, obviously. 
Uh, Velveteen Dream, he had a cinematic match with Adam Cole, two guys that would probably do that too, but I don't remember it as well. I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical, Chris. I really am. Who knows? I, I guess the question is, do you think that if this wasn't, you know, if this is shoot, this is this was how Randy felt. He fucking got drunk, blah 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 blah. But he's now saying this about like wanting to go to NXT and work with them. Um, do you think Triple H was fucking pissed? And how how quickly do you think Hunter contacted Randy to tell him to fuck off, basically, for kind of going uh, doing that? <laughs> I mean, if it was a shoot, probably immediately after Chomper responded with that tweet. Which, if you're the locker room leader, that's what you should do. so uh hopefully it's a work i mean like randy going down and wrestling some of these guys is not bad for the company and we're going to get into the the potential of there not being any kind of brand split very soon so and during that i think that there could be some guys that are bigger names that they're gonna fucking put on nxc i could see kevin owens i could see a couple other people that they're not doing stuff with you know, it just makes it look like a demotion, but maybe even Randy popping up on that. I mean, they should bring back their biggest baby face of all time, maybe outside of Gargano, Sami Zayn, and just put him on NXT since yep. they're doing dick all with him and stripped him of the title. I mean, there's a lot of names you could do shit with. Uh, but yeah, Shinsuke. Orton going there and, and I mean, Orton versus Keith Lee, for instance, like there's matchups you right can have with Orton that yep. would be good matches. He could be the guy, kind of, I'm assuming what Charlotte, because apparently Charlotte's done. She wanted to be there longer, but that's it for her for there. Um, what I thought she was going to do, where it was some of the talent, and, and she kind of did. Rhea Ripley's definitely someone going up soon. She worked with Bianca Belair, um, you know, and she worked with the Shirai. I think that's the people that are going up next. You bring Randy down, or even if you brought a Kevin Owens down, they'd be working with Adam Cole, Velveteen Dream, the ones that most potentially are going to go to the next you know step i don't like saying the main product but you know you understand what i'm saying yeah i mean well i mean it is the main product it's it's more viewers right so in wwe's eyes the top echelon of their company but yeah the the charlotte thing we had kind of i mean we knew if she dropped the title that was going to be it and that's just because becky is gone so Yep. Like that, that to me was a no brainer that may, they may not have wanted to pull the trigger on that as fast as they did. But with Becky being. Um, I think I lost you, buddy. The last thing I, I heard you say was like Becky either. being. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Until they can now. get like Rhea or. Yeah, it will be interesting. I don't know. Um, this is a – there was a moment, I, I think you remember, in Survivor Series, one of my favorite moments, and they didn't get a chance to really do anything because they both got attacked, where there was a stare down. And I think that stare down, the reason why it's important is because they're, they're, they're hunters two boys, basically. They have a similar type of, you know, vibe to them, sort of, you know, and – I don't know. I have no clue if this will work or shoot. It probably is a shoot that's now getting turned into a work like the Drake Maverick shit. I don't fucking know. But either way, you know, if Randy's being a dickbag, what the fuck do you expect? And, you know, screw you, Randy. But it seemed like from from everything that he said that he would more or less, you know, that's not that's 
that's definitely not beneath him for one thing, and that he actually would like to go and work with some of those guys and kind of show them more the main roster style, which I think that me and you like the NXT style better than the main roster style. So, But then again, Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles had a great fucking match on SmackDown. So, Yeah, well, they, they let them just do whatever the fuck they want, though, <laughs> versus yeah. them taking taking someone like Adam Cole and, and neutering him, which would be my worry. I mean, th- those two guys came in kind of established already to the company with Daniel yep. Bryan and AJ Styles. I mean, and, and, not, and they couldn't do dick all about what a, like Daniel Bryan was going to do just because he caught a wave. So, I, like, they did everything they could do to make him not <laughs> be yeah. Daniel Bryan. It just never fucking worked for them. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That, that entire situation is weird. Um, I will say this about Randy Orton. I've never heard him just refuse to work with someone. I mean, the only story I can think of is the stupid Kofi Kingston thing when he was much mm-hmm. younger. But outside of that, like, you don't, I mean, he worked with Jinder Mahal, right? Like, I'm sure he sure. was not fucking thrilled about working <laughs> Jinder Mahal. So, I mean, even if he was just being serious and he just dislikes that style of wrestling, if they asked him to go down there and fucking work with some guys and they're still going to pay him the same amount of money, I'm sure he would do it. <laughs> like, it, at least you can say that, crazy. you know? It would create some cool matches for sure, too. I, I don't think we've ever gotten Randy Orton and Finn Balor, and they're both, you know, much more. Obviously, Finn comes from the main roster, but um, be interesting, to say the least. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, that. was that. Let's talk about this next one, man. That's uh, <laughs> just got it, – it definitely had me more aggravated at the beginning until I kind of started realizing stuff. But uh, WWE Ross uh, – Basically, um, Paul Heyman has been taken out of his position of being the head writer for Monday Night Raw. Yes, this did happen in 2003. We'll get that, and I'll connect a little bit of the dots. Um, And is now just going to be a talent uh, being the manager for Brock Lesnar, who doesn't want to come back to the show because there's no fucking fans there. He thinks it's pointless, and I kind of agree with him for his level. Um, And, uh, yeah, so basically... He's either going to manage someone or he's going to sit at home until Brock's ready to go. It's uh, interesting, but Bruce Pritchard, who was the one who's been the main writer, um, he was basically the main writer even when Eric was there. He was doing everything for it and doing whatever Vince wants, which uh, created, he's created some bad stuff. Me and, me and uh, Chris talked about it <laughs> but before the show. But he's also contributed towards also good storylines and stuff like that. But he's a yes man. For Vince. Paul, not so much. So Paul's gone. Bruce is now the main creative person between brands. They don't give it to Triple H, which is very weird. Just like beforehand when it was Bischoff and fucking uh, Paul, uh, you know, saying that Triple H just needs to work on NXT, which I think is bullshit. If he's the next in line, he should probably be giving some creative input. But either way, Paul, like last time, and let's 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 go back to 2003, guys. 2003, SmackDown wasn't doing as well, but he was trying to get some people to be larger names, um, and that ended up working. Uh, I think a lot of people know what the SmackDown 6 is. It was basically people that were floundering, uh, Eddie Guerrero, and some bigger names, uh, Kurt Angle, Edge, Benoit, Rey Mysterio, and Chavo Guerrero. Later on, we would add people like Cena, like Batista, to that list of people that he worked on. 
and made or, or at least helped make stars uh, or in some of the ones that were unbelievable based on their size or whatever made them believable with the Rey Mysterio, with an Eddie Guerrero. Uh, had Eddie beat fucking Brock Lesnar for the title, started beating ratings later on after establishing these guys while people like Shawn Michaels and Triple H and a lot of other big names were on Raw. You know, they just had The Undertaker and uh, rising John Cena. And JBL was another person that was over on SmackDown. Great heel. Um, and basically, since that worked, and then they started beating Raw in the ratings, shortly after that, I think they went down. And then Vince, because of the fact that Paul was always trying to fucking give his opinions and won't sh- wouldn't shut the fuck up, Vince got rid of him, and um, I think SmackDown became second-rated to Raw for a long period of time. Um, Now, apparently, what they called the group was the former SmackDown catering group that basically uh, Paul was, or, you know, Paul Heyman was trying to make big. That included Andrade. Uh, You know, they got Angel Garza and Austin Theory within there, but, you know, uh, Cedric Alexander, Apollo Crews, uh, Ricochet, um, you know, people that he thought, Buddy Murphy, uh, could do big things in Aleister Black and uh, was trying to put stock into them, trying to find places for them. Got blocked by Vince with the Cedric and Ricochet tag team fucking real quickly and just saw potential in making stars in of a lot of people that we do too. And uh, another situation where he didn't even get a chance to try to get the ratings up. Everyone's ratings down. This Dave Metzler said this because AEW's down. It could do. It could be a lot larger. NXT's down. SmackDown's down. Raw's down. It's there's a pandemic. There's no audience. It's awkward, and a lot of people are watching stuff outside of just live, like you said, Chris. So, I think Bruce has done some good things on SmackDown. Uh, I think he's like I said, a yes man. He'll do whatever Vince says, though, and that's kind of a problem, uh, you know, when it comes to certain ideas like. You know, piss test. <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, but I thought Raw was doing really well, too, with the matches and exposing some of this newer, younger talent and really doing something with them. Aleister Black, I guess, is going to go back into a fucking dark room waiting for a fight. Uh, I don't know. It's a lot. But, Chris, give me your thoughts. Uh, do you think that this is just going to be a way for them to maybe cater to Fox and USA and just have one roster, unify the titles, go from there, and just, you know, that's about it. And do you think that this is going to also take a hit on some of those younger wrestlers, uh, especially the ones that were getting the biggest push, uh, like an Aleister Black, or even could this trickle to Drew McIntyre or repackage Bobby Lashley like they, they, that he was able to do? I mean, I think some of the talent is definitely going to take a hit because I do believe the end goal is that they're just going to merge the rosters or they're going to do some kind of weird crossover like they've done in the past. Because every time the ratings dip, they try to bring back big stars, right? Which they did. They brought back Edge. Uh, fucking Lesnar is not coming back, <laughs> which I don't blame him because a Lesnar match without the crowd reaction probably would be a bit weird. So maybe Paul Heyman was like, eh, maybe you just wait <laughs> and come back and we'll get Drew to where he needs to be. Drew, I think it's fine. 
uh, where he's at. I mean, I think they have strapped the rocket to that guy, and he's just going to be pushed no matter what at this point. I don't, I don't think they can dial that back. Like, who are you going to have realistically beat Drew? Maybe with the exception, actually the exception of people that are on SmackDown, which is the weirdest thing to say because, like, if you look at that roster, are they just gonna they're gonna put it back on Seth, the belt, and just kill like Drew's push. I mean, that the end goal I would assume is Lesnar versus. I mean, Brock comes back at Rumble probably. If they can have crowds, wins Rumble, then you get Brock versus McIntyre at Mania again. That would be my guess of where they're. If you're looking at the year-long goal, which Vince tries to book around one major storyline, that would be the one, I would think. So I'm assuming, you know, Drew's probably fine. But, like, you start talking about people like Andrade or even more recently, someone I think they've done a really good job with, Apollo Crews. They brought Apollo Crews up and then put him as part of, like, like this is what they were doing before Heyman showed up, which has just made him part of Titus O'Neil's little crew. Uh, and Dana Brooke is like a weird manager and they did dick all and he got beat by everyone like a drum. So <laughs> I, there's going to be a lot of people affected. And especially if they do start letting all of the major stars be on both shows, because now these guys that you're trying to build like a buddy Murphy, well, well what are we going to do with Nakamura or what are we going to do with Dolph Ziggler or what you get some of these guys that are, let's say slightly bigger names right now that starts shifting those people to just doing jobs like the guys that they're trying to build right now. So that's more of my worry. I think you summed up, you know, Paul Heyman's 2003 building SmackDown to beat raw to the point where he's like listening in on the raw calls. And that's like what actually got him fired is that he was listening in on their creative and making sure whatever he did was better than what they did. <laughs> so did like, not know that. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> Paul just wanted to make sure like he would hear what bullshit they were doing on Raw and he's like well I guess we're not going to do that we're going to do this instead which to be honest they should all be in there together because at the end of the day they're both under the WWE blanket and you want to like it doesn't matter if more people watch on Friday than on Monday because it's the same amount of money <laughs> like they're both TV contracts the ratings I mean in theory you still look good as a company so I mean to me that shit's baffling in general but uh, with Bruce Pritchard taking over, I'm just assuming they're getting rid of the brand split. They're going to do, you know, they're going to just kibosh that shit. I mean, they may still have separate brands, but they're just going to let all the stars cross over wherever the hell they want because they're scared of where the ratings are at. And uh, like you said, Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez and a bunch of like Wade Keller, they've all talked about it. Ratings for wrestling are down in general. It wasn't that long ago that AEW almost hit a million viewers. And now they're you know, 680,000, 700,000, kind of back to that's yep. their average. Um, and, and the same goes with, like, if they're looking at Triple H not taking over the reins because NXT is losing, well, it's kind of hard to determine because you put your show out on the WWE Network that everyone has to pay for to watch your pay-per-views, and there is nothing like that for AEW, so which one do you watch? It's, it's like, even hard to judge the ratings in a normal situation that's not right now so i don't know the whole thing's a clusterfuck it's weird that you know triple h got a demotion basically not that long ago and it seems like 
he has been passed well, I, over. I don't consider it a demotion. My, my dad explained it to me for a long time. <laughs> I mean, that could have been to protect him from maybe getting fired by the board or who the hell knows, right? Because um, that gets into the corporate stuff of WWE, which is a whole different monster in itself. But for him to be passed over as like the head writer when your diehard fans are telling you that's consistently the best thing. I think maybe they don't see him as a viable option right now, even though that's who they're going to pass the range to. If I'm Triple H, I'd be kind of pissed off that Bruce Pritchard and Eric Bischoff, and which Eric Bischoff was just a fall guy. Like if the Fox shit went south, they were just going to blame it on Eric Bischoff and fire him, which is what I said to begin with. And he, into all accounts, even his account, he didn't do dick all when he was there. Like, they didn't let him write anything. He's just kind of there and then wasn't there three months later. So, I mean, good for him because I think he still got his contracted salary. Just showed up for like three months and was like, all right, well, fuck it. (laughs) Which, good for Eric Bischoff, I guess. But, I mean, they didn't even give, like, everyone would have loved to have seen if you let Eric Bischoff take over a show and you let Paul Heyman take over a show just to see what the direction would have been and what that would have looked the fantasy itself, Chris, I think was, oh, they're going to like, I mean, all of us knew that Vince was going to fucking be the final say, but we would have a show with Eric's creative mind, hopefully not in TNA or when he came back to WCW. But when he was at WCW, he was trying to make it like realistic, put that edge on it while Paul was going to do more of wrestling, wrestling, uh, very similar to what he did in 2003, basically, and have it more about the wrestling than the actual storylines, I would say. While Eric would probably go more heavy on storylines, but have them have that that level of realty like he put in, and none of that happened. Yeah, well, Paul kind of got it, but obviously not until it was, you know, until now. <laughs> and he's gone. And he's gone. And, and to some extent, they put Paul in the wrong position. They should have put him on SmackDown, which is the smaller show that is more wrestling-based and put Eric on Monday Night Raw, which is the one that has, like, these weird Viking Raiders segments and shit. Like, that's where he would have more flourished, I guess, If you even with Vince being there. To me, they just put them on the wrong brands. I mean, Paul, to me, Paul didn't do anything wrong. Uh, no. just a, the wrestling is just in a down period right now. It's not the big bang they were expecting it to be. And Eric Bischoff, like I said, he was hired as a fall guy. So... It's, it's just strange. And, uh, I mean, if Paul Heyman can't have Brock Lesnar and he is going to focus on his in-ring work or whatever they called it, like, I don't know, give him Shayna Baszler, let him be her manager. Give him someone else that's not just Brock Lesnar. He should be building a stable of badasses. I would love that. You know, move on to the Heyman family. You know what I'm saying? Like a bunch of badass people um, to represent yeah, that'd be cool. But either way, I mean, it it, wor- it works really it works really well with CM Punk. So if he really likes Buddy Murphy, give him someone like Buddy Murphy. Yep. As a Paul Heyman guy, like there's shit you can do with Paul Heyman that doesn't involve him writing anything except for whatever he's working on with Brock and whoever he's booking. Don't go the route of giving him someone like Curtis Axel though, like they <laughs> like they did in the past. Like you know, give him a guy that could be a star. Paulo Cruz. Yeah. You know. Or, oh, dude, well, I don't know how I feel about this. What about Aleister Black? 
But they're, I mean, to me, they're booking Alistair as a baby face. And Paul kind of yeah. needs to make monsters. I mean, when Asuka was undefeated, I thought that was like the surefire thing. Because I knew they weren't going to let her talk in Japanese. And it took them fucking two years to let her do that, which she has gotten over. Uh, yep. <laughs> some of the best shit on the show. So I, I, I don't. I, there's more ways to use Paul Heyman than just Brock Lesnar. And I think yeah. if they could, they would have just fired Paul Heyman. But then Brock Lesnar had been like, all right, well, fuck you guys. I just won't wrestle anymore. So they're just in a rock and a rock and a hard place because Brock, when he came back and didn't have a manager, he was like, fuck this. I'm not doing this. <laughs> you remember that awkward period? Yeah. And, and the one thing that a, pe- a lot of people don't realize is that Paul's actually his, re- his manager in real life. He shows up <laughs> with them at UFC to go over contracts and stuff like that. I mean, that's not a lie. So <laughs> that's that's a little bit of pull. Like, you know, oh, OK, well, you know, like me, I don't remember. This will get back to Brock. You know. Well, I mean, like they came in and they gave Lesnar a written script and was like, go read this when he had never like really been a promo guy to begin with. And then he just looked at him like, you're fucking crazy. Either bring in Paul or I walk. I'm not doing this shit. <laughs> he's like, I don't really he's like, I don't really need the money. I like the money and I kind of want to do this, but like, I don't need it. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the one thing that I think protected Paul. Like if. if Lesnar was no longer there and was a free agent and maybe said wanted to go back to Japan or something, Paul would have been fired. I agree. The other the other big question, obviously, not related to Paul within this, we kind of touched upon it, is Triple H, Hunter. Not only did he not receive a job into being a head writer for Raw, uh, you know, and they can probably say, well, it was because he needs to stay with SmackDown or, or, or with NXT is what I meant to say. Um, I just I just don't know how I feel about that, and not only that, in the scheme of things, Vince apparently is not happy, and I think I said this with the ratings of NXT, even though, like I said, they keep up with their only competition on the same night that they decide to put the program live against it. Um, like I I, I don't know, I I just think if they go back to one brand. Uh, my my fear is the worst thing possible is that they go back to one brand and then NXT they just take off and don't put it on another channel they just put it back on the network. Um, that would be the worst thing because I think that they are I think that USA is probably happy with them. I don't I don't think they wouldn't be. I'm sure they're getting the biggest rings that they've had in that position for a while. You know they still do well. Uh, they're still, like I said, keeping up with AEW might not always beat them and they might not, you know, but it's 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 not too much of a difference. And that's their it's not even a competitor, really, but that's your only competitor. And I, I, I just don't get why. I don't know. It's 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 really weird. But the best thing possibly I'm going to throw out there, Chris, to you, maybe the best thing is that if they do decide to go to one brand. They'll realize that they have a bunch of people that they don't have places for now. And NXT, you know, gets a little more heavy with some bigger names that are like, fuck it, I'll go to NXT. You know, pay me the same, just like they're doing with Finn. And I'll bring, we'll bring eyes to that product, which could possibly happen, like we were talking about with the last conversations. There is so many people that are floundering. And if you made it, where you put it as, you know, one one roster between SmackDown and Raw, they'll be fucking drowning. 
you know, even Shinsuke Nakamura comes to mind. Um, we talked about Kevin Owens who gets – he's all over the place. Um, you know, Sami Zayn, a lot of alumni of NXT as a product. You know, I don't know. Either, either situation could happen. Nothing could happen. It's just after him not being happy with what Paul does, is he going to come after, his, you know, the other Paul? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, the, the crazy part to me about this entire thing is this could have all been solved by deciding not to go head-to-head with AEW, and then your ratings may even be higher than theirs if you just put it on a different day. Uh, as far as the ratings in that situation, what I would say is it, what doesn't make sense, if they fired Paul Heyman because of ratings, let's just say that is the end goal, that Raw's not getting the ratings that it should be getting. Uh, SmackDown's definitely not getting the ratings that it should be getting. It's on free TV. If you have an antenna, you can get SmackDown. Like, otherwise, you have to pay for some sort of cable package, whether even if it's like something like YouTube TV or or Sling or whatever the hell you use, you're still paying to watch Raw, as opposed to SmackDown, which in theory anyone can watch for free at any time. All you gotta do is go buy like a twenty dollar antenna, and you're gonna pick up if you're in Atlanta, Channel Five, Fox. And you can just watch it, right? So the ratings, if you're looking at it from the standpoint of that, like fucking SmackDown should always be beating Raw in the ratings. So <laughs> the move to put Bruce Pritchard, which SmackDown has sucked recently outside of this Intercontinental Tournament that they, they did. And I don't know whose idea that was, but props on them. I think that was a good idea. But it did take them bringing in AJ Styles to get that done. So they've already started shifting people from rosters with actual no explanation other than there was a trade, uh, which isn't going to matter because they, they haven't talked about it since and probably won't talk about it in general again. And, and I'm just going round and round at this point, but it, it's it, the fact that they've passed over Triple H so many times, who has been involved with great storylines in the past, and I think has proven with Gargano and Ciampa and, and some of the stuff he's done in NXT, like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, which is a rehash of, you know, Delirious's booking and, and kind of Cornette's booking to some extent of Ring of Honor. Uh, some of the stuff that they've done on NXT has been their best storytelling. The problem is you put it on the WWE Network and people didn't see it. So you can utilize those storylines. Like some one of the biggest feuds that I can think of was Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. I mean, they drove that thing into the fucking ground on the main roster. So if you're looking at creative talent, you should be leveraging NXT and what Triple H has been able to do there. Just because the the, the majority of your audience doesn't watch that show doesn't mean that they wouldn't appreciate it if you put it on another show. Right? Like... If you put the King of Bros on SmackDown, for instance, I think people would really like that and you might get more viewers on your show. So the whole fucking concept to me is, is just so weird. It, it, it's so crazy that they're uh, passed over. I do want to say uh, real quick, just because I just got this news, congratulations to Dakota, uh, co-host of the NHL, the Skates to Throats podcast that I do. He just had a baby. Beautiful. Oh, Beautiful. congratulations, man. 7.5 ounce, 7 pounds, 5 ounces. That's great. That's awesome. Um, and I did, I, one last question, I guess, I get with with the wrestlers that 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 Paul was, you know, pushing. Paul Heyman was pushing, and all of this. We kind of went over them. 
they kind of even reflect, if you will, his big six in a lot of ways from different people. But your Angel Garza's, we already can take fucking Cedric and Ricochet off of it, but your Angel Garza's, your Andrade's, your Alistair Black's, your Apollo Crews, um, Selena Vega, just in general, as being an awesome manager. Do you think that we're going to see less and less of them, or are they going to still stick with them since they're already established and just try to push them in a different direction with Bruce Pritchard and Vince? Well, I think Vince is behind Andrade. He seemed like he liked Andrade, and that's why he brought him up from NXT as quickly as he did after that title run. So with 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 Andrade, I think it's fine. With Angel Garza, that guy's just going to have to work his ass off and get himself over Daniel Bryan style at this point with, with Paul being gone. Um, Buddy Murphy is a weird one, because once they disband whatever the hell Seth Rollins is doing now, I don't know what, where that's going to lead him. Leave him. Uh, you package him with someone like Paul Heyman, to go after whatever Rollins ends up becoming out of this storyline. Uh, I think that could be great, but yes, I mean like, like, like even someone like Apollo Cruz, I don't know what this means for his career. Like is Bruce Pritchard going to see the same thing that Paul Heyman saw in Apollo Cruz, which is a fucking tremendous athlete and pretty damn good in the ring. Um, it's just how much momentum did Paul give them? Like, do you think that they have enough momentum right now to build upon, or do you think they're just going to kibosh it? Because it, the, the whole thing is like, if those storylines they don't think have any momentum, they're just going to kibosh it, and those guys will just be thrown by the wayside for you know a twenty-minute Orton and Edge promo. Yep, that's what I'm worried about. All right, well we'll have to find out. I mean, that's the only thing that we can do. Um, I think this is going to be a news item, our last one before we go into the shows. We've already been on air for, for quite a minute, but, you know, this is a fucking show to go over some stuff. New Japan's coming back. Made their announcements. Yay! They're going to be having uh, the New Japan Cup for 2020. Um, and they released the brackets. They told us that they're going to actually have arena shows. They're going to have an audience, but a safe audience. Uh, tested, I believe, was it? It was like, you know, they're going to test them. You're spacing them out a great deal. Um, and also, obviously, they're going to wear masks and whatnot. But and we're getting wrestling, especially New Japan wrestling, some of the best. If you like mostly the fighting aspect of wrestling and, and the two guys beating the shit out of each other, making you believe that it's real, you know, a couple seconds into it, that's what I love about New Japan. But I'm going to pass it over to Chris so he can, you know, go over the information because I know that you're so excited about this, Chris. Go over both sides of the brackets of who we got going against who, and then we'll talk about that, and then we'll we'll guess who's going to be in the finals, uh, who's going to make it all the way to the finals on both sides and discuss that. Well, I mean, the bracket's kind of large, so I don't think we need to go through each of the matchups. I will go through some of the big matchups that I see right here. Um, Tanahashi versus Taichi, Obushi uh, versus Zack Sabre Jr., um, Let's see. This is just from the first round, the matchups I would look out for. Uh, Bushi versus Kojima this should be a great match. Gato versus Okada, which kind of resolves a storyline where Gato turned on Okada, if you recall, to, to move over and hang out with Switchblade. Um, let's see. Minoru Suzuki and Nagata. That should be a great match. Those are the original matchups, and uh, I, I think the craziest thing about this tournament, it could be the first wrestling 
with a live audience because the idea is at the Osaka Hall finals, which by the way, the finals itself, whoever wins this will get a title shot for both the uh, both titles that Naito is holding. So whoever wins this is going to go into the Dominion show, which I believe is the following night. Um, and they get that tied. They're going to be in the main event. So when you look at the roster, there's some obvious standout names of who you could kind of make the determination of, of who might who might be there. I would say, you know, Tanahashi Ibushi, Okada, obviously, and uh, Minoru Suzuki. The thing about Tanahashi and Ibushi, the way the bracket is laid out, is they they will hit each other on the way there. Whereas on the the opposite side of that bracket, I think the main, to me, if I'm building this, and, and I don't know, because Gato is crazy. Uh, oh, man, you could end up with Okada versus Suzuki. Nope, never mind. They, they will hit each other as well before the main event. So you're probably looking at Ishii versus Okada in the finals for side, let's say side A. And then for side B, you're probably looking at Either Abushi and Tanahashi versus, I would say, either Evil or, or Bushi, just based on how this thing is laid out. But either way, um, Nato got pissed, and, and apparently they just spun a tournament off because <laughs> he said he was going to go defend his title somewhere else, right? Fucking uh, so. CM Punk style. <laughs> It was great, and we all knew that was storyline. But this is going to be this is going to be great. I mean, all of these guys, specifically the Kota Ibushi's of the world and the Naito's of the world, um, who really needed this rest, they just had four months off. So, like, what is Okada and Gato going to do in this match, right? Or the the ta- and and I would assume that you're going to get Tanahashi versus Kota Ibushi. Like, what is that match going to look like now that they they're all rested? There's going to be some great fucking matches in this event. And um, as for the winner, I, Kota Ibushi, I think. That would be my prediction. Either Kota Ibushi or Okada. I think that's going to be your finals. Yep. And, uh, I mean, Ibushi versus Naito. Let's see if they can break one of those <laughs> another's neck. <laughs> because uh, that's, what, that's what that match is going to be. <laughs> God, I forgot about that. Yeah, man, you know, I, I actually completely agree. I think that it, it's probably going to be Okada and Kota Ibushi, and Kota's going to get a win over Okada. I think that Okada is, he's a stable there, like Tanahashi, you know. He, him and Tanahashi are basically the guy now um, that you can give the title to. I guess uh, comparable, if you will, um, not too long ago, how Brock Lesnar and John Cena were. You know, you put it on one of them, to keep it prestigious or whatnot, but they don't necessarily need it. Um, I'm not saying that Okada is not going to get that title back in the future, but I think that Kota Ibushi and Naito, as much as that scares me, just makes a lot of sense uh, for Dominion. It is Dominion that we're building up to, right? For this title match? Yeah. Yeah. So whenever this tournament ends, the very next day is Dominion. So the storyline is whoever wins this has had to go through this entire tournament while, while NATO has just been, in theory, resting. I mean, he'll be working on these shows more than likely on the undercard because this is a... How many days is this tournament? It goes from the 16th until um, July 11th. So the 16th of this month to July 11th. So it's a long tournament. So, you know, NATO is going to be wrestling, but not to the same extent of these tournament matches. So, that, you know, they're going to play that into it. Um, 
I almost want to say Okada should win this just because Ibushi already recently lost to Naito. Yeah. And it's not going to hurt Okada to lose. And I think the end goal is to, now that uh, Kota has re-signed for what he said was life at the time, (laughs) 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 they're going to put the title on him eventually, but they're not going to take it directly off Naito. He hasn't even had a chance to have a run. I mean, he won this thing and then like COVID hit and they, I mean, he won it in January. There was one event after that, I think like one defense, right? And he's not been able to do shit as far as the title reign goes. It's like, the which sucks because it took him so long to get back to that title as being one of their most popular stars and then shit hit the fan. So I'm assuming they're not going to take it off of him and it would make more sense for Okada just to, for them to either have a time limit draw or, you know, a banger of a match where Naito gets the better of it. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to analyze this real quick and just think, kind of go through the ending of the tournament, who I think is going to advance. I'm going to go Ishii will get his bracket and go down and he will go against. I mean, I think it's going to be Hiromu. I think it's going to be a lot of the popular ones and you're going to get a lot of uh, fun matches uh, set up like a Takahashi against Ishii. I think that's the potential on that one. I think that Okada's going to make it all the way down. I'd love to see Ishimori go against Okada. Uh, then from there, uh, I believe that I want Takahashi to beat Ishii, but it would probably be Ishii. Okada would beat Ish- Ishimori. And then you would have Okada advance on the left side from Ishii. And the other side, uh, Kota Bushi gets all the way down. This is where it's kind of hard. I'm going to say Shingo Takagi. They seem to be up on him, but I could see Sho somehow winning against Shingo because they seem to like Sho as well, too. Then there's Sonata. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, it's in the same bracket. Then there's Sonata. That one's so hard. And Kota Bushi's got to beat Zack Sabre right off the fucking bat. So Kota Bushi, and I'm going to go with – I'm actually going to go with uh, Sonata. They'll be end up there. Kota will beat him. And then from there, ah, oh, man. It gets tough because the bracket is not as split as we're normally used to because there are some obvious missing well, pieces here due to COVID. This, like, Will Ospreay is not. Oh, yeah, you're right. This last one, it's like the names. I, I mean, I, okay, fine. Yo, yo will, yo will proceed, uh, and he'll go against – I. I guess Evil, uh, and then Evil will beat him, go against Kota Ibushi. Kota Ibushi will advance. It'll be a Kota Ibushi versus Okada, and Kota Ibushi will somehow get that win to move on to Tetsuya Naito. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I, I see Evil versus Bushi in that bracket, probably. That could be and, it, too. That makes a lot then, of sense. And then Bushi versus Kota Ibushi, just on what they were building beforehand. Okay. Um, where where Bushi kind of came out and, and interrupted Naito's speech, and maybe they even go that route. Maybe Bushi pushes all the way through. Uh, I, it's like saying maybe because of some bullshit, but it won't be any bullshit because it's New Japan. But Bushi could win as part of New Bullet Club, right? What is going yeah. on with that? So like because 
you know, they came out, they interrupted the speech. He was with Switchblade and some of those other cats. Like, I think, was it Gato? It's been a while since I watched Wrestle Kingdom. Um, and honestly, we haven't, we haven't talked about New Japan in forever. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that will either be Bushi or Kota Ibushi versus Okada. I just feel like Okada is kind of the stand-in. Um, even though it would be great to... That's because he's outstanding. It would be huh? fuck, it would be fucking great for us to get Minoru Suzuki versus Okada in that second round <laughs> on the twenty fourth. The reintroduction that we needed back to New Japan, Okada and Suzuki just beating the absolute shit out of each other. They always have great matches too, so I feel like that's like a deter- that's like right off the bat. Um, but the, I mean, the biggest match out of that first round is if you're looking at the bracket, the biggest match out of that first round is he's got to be Ibushi versus Zack Sabre Jr. Yep. I would say so. That's going to be a badass match. The other, well, the other part of the, the other part of this tournament I, I did, I briefly talked about it. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it is the reintroduction that they're doing is split to 4,000 fans. Normally the building I think holds 10,000. They're doing social distancing between the seating from what I've heard. And temporal scans and everyone's going to be required to wear a mask. And that will be both the final, so the final of this tournament, and then in theory, Dominion the next night will be the same way. So that's how they're, in Japan, that's how they're trying to reintroduce people coming to live events. Which could determine how other people do it, unless WWE jumps the gun and does something else uh, completely. But uh, that's, that's the plan right now as far as... I know um, from everything I've heard from different wrestling media outlets. Well, I could totally see Vince like, I'm going to beat him. But we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. All right, let's jump on these shows, Chris, uh, and, and, and talk about a show called Monday Night Raw. Uh, we had it open up with Asuka. Uh, she was advertised for a match against Charlotte Flair and was quickly interrupted by Bailey and Sasha Banks. Bailey and Banks bragged about their women's tag team championship win and how they are two-time tag team championships and Bailey is a double champ herself. Um, the Iconics interrupted them. Uh, everybody basically just started going at it and they announced a triple threat tag team title match for Backlash. Uh, the heels attacked uh, Flair and Oscar, who fought them off, and then we had Charlotte Flair and Oscar going against the Iconics and uh, the World uh, Tag Team Champions Bailey and Sasha Banks. Flair went up to top to hit a moonsault on Billy Kay, but Oscar tagged herself in and tapped out Kay to the Oscar lock. After the match, Flair beat down Oscar. I really actually like that part. Because they were having this rivalry. I mean, they're obviously rivals, and, and uh, they were supposed to have a match. But, you know, they're having this rivalry throughout the match where they're, like, you know, just uh, being an asshole and tagging each other when they're not supposed to do that, coming in, kicking the crap out of the person. So Asuka said, fuck it, the last time, because I think Charlotte started it. And when Charlotte was going to do the moonsault, she came in and just made her tap out real quickly. I liked that little uh, part of it. I thought it was a good match, and it's still – set up the match at the end of the night where we would still get Oscar versus Charlotte Flair. So Charlotte doing double duty on one show after doing a pay-per-view 
She is such a hard, hard-working lady. How'd you like this opening, and how'd you like the match that they had, setting up the final match with Asuka and Charlotte for the main event? Well, first and foremost, Charlotte's an absolute monster. <laughs> she, did, she did the pay-per-view on Sunday and kind of a grueling three-way match, did this tag match, and then had another match <laughs> later on in the night. Um, this is exactly why I said she was going to drop the title, because they need her there. Uh, what's weird is you're already starting to see what we were talking about, where branding doesn't matter. You just pulled your two biggest female superstars off SmackDown to come feud with people on Raw. Right? And now the Iconics, and I know the women's tag team division is different, but you're already starting to see shades of this trickling in. I liked the finish a lot uh, that you were talking about, which kind of the blind tag. I think they do that too much, but in this case it worked. Uh, the blind tag, just because it's like, I one-upped you. What's really weird is Charlotte just lost a title belt and then is immediately getting a title shot, which <laughs> is like, especially because I what when was her last match on Raw? I don't know. I mean, you get what That's I'm saying? Question. Like, like she beat Rhea at Mania, which was she on Raw or SmackDown at that time? I don't know. Also, like, is, which she wasn't on Raw, right? Originally, because they separated her and Becky. So how the hell did she end up on Raw to begin with? And then she went to NXT and now she's on Raw. Well, see, they just didn't explain that they traded AJ for Charlotte. I guess we'll have to go with that. Well, well, that would have been a lot easier. <laughs> they should have just did that instead of like a future choice pick or whatever or whatever the hell they. Like, what the fuck are we having? This is not the NBA and the NFL. It's not the fucking draft. What are you guys talking about? First round pick. Fuck off. Well, I mean, I mean, it could be that if you did it right, it would be awesome. But if you did it right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I get, but you get what I'm saying. Like the whole thing was Charlotte was on the other brand. Yep. Becky was on Raw. I don't right. remember, and maybe she did cross over at some point, but I don't remember any kind of like reasoning behind it because she never won the title off Becky, so there would be no reason for her to be on Raw. In fact, Becky was Becky two belts, as you recall, right? <laughs> so, um. Charlotte can just do whatever the fuck she wants because she's a flare. That's what they should write in the storyline. She'd be like, I just do what I want because I'm a flare. Like John Cena being a free agent. Remember when they did that? It's like John Cena can do whatever he wants because he's John Cena or Brock Lesnar. They should just do that. And then I wouldn't have a problem with it. Like even just the shittiest explanation. I'd be like, oh, well, yeah, Brock Lesnar can just do whatever the fuck he wants because he's Brock Lesnar. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <sighs> well, uh, we had Seth Rollins who came to ringside to talk to Rey Mysterio who was appearing from home along with his uh, son, Dominic. Um, and he's going to attend uh, next week's Raw. Uh, Mysterio said he's not medically cleared, but when he is, Rollins will know. And Dominic, I forgot what he said. He threatened him. Oh, he said, you know the term, an eye for an eye, I'm coming for your eye. So it got real personal between Walter and uh, Seth Rollins. Uh, Alistair Black randomly attacked Rollins. Uh, this would set up a match. Um, with Humberto Carrillo and Aleister Black going against and beating Austin Theory and Murphy. Black pinned Murphy as per usual. 
After the match, the Rollins group beat up the faces and hit their finishers on them, and no one came down and helped them. Hmm. Uh, anyways, how did you like the uh, interaction with Seth Rollins and Dominic and Ray? And then how did you like the uh, match afterwards? I love that they're still doing this eye for an eye storyline because of the Messiah. The problem is, like, Ray's kid's just going to get demolished to set up a storyline between Ray and Seth, as opposed to what they should do, which is have him take Seth Rollins' eye, <laughs> right? Terry Funk style, and then have Seth Rollins do the whole Terry Funk promo, and maybe that's how you switch him back babyface. Um, and you could do something with interesting with Dominic. But, uh, yeah, I, for the most part, I liked this whole segment. Uh, I agree with you. I, I hate when baby faces just get beat down, especially if they help other people like Aleister Black has done in the past. It's the polar opposite of what happened in the tag division on AEW, where all of the baby faces beat the shit out of the heels and then just like kind of hung out in the ring. <laughs> it's like a total different mindset of booking. Like baby faces should have friends because they're good people. <laughs> <laughs> like go back and watch any wrestling like pre just watch anything not WWF like the pre the 90s baby faces have friends yeah I, they, they, I would I would assume they have friends I would assume that Aleister Black and you know Humberto have made friends with people but who knows instead they they you know they get their ass kicked I mean, if, if you're not going to have any friends as a babyface, then you need to have a good reason for it. Like, for instance, if, if you turn... Like Undertaker, right? People are scared of Undertaker, so he wouldn't necessarily have a friend outside of, like, Kane. But just Depending from, on like, the storyline. Yeah, so... It just... It depends on how you book it, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. Just, like, watching him get his ass whipped, especially when people like Kevin Owens already has a feud with this group. That's the other shit... Like, they still have ongoing feuds with this group with other baby faces. So, like... They're bad have, at continuity. <laughs> you, could have, you could have Owens come out and give these guys a stunner to help to help this guy, or at least get beat down with him. But the problem is, is they've shifted him to a different storyline, uh, which makes no sense, because you, in theory, should be next up for a championship. But whatever. They don't, they don't give a fuck. No, they do not. All right, so speaking about not giving a fuck, not giving a fuck about two of your wrestlers going into a match after really great promos building up the storyline, um, you know, between Randy Orton and Edge and a lot of people feeling that the match at WrestleMania underperformed. So setting up an actual in-ring wrestling match between the two, I have to be honest with you, I have listened to uh, the, the same two interviews I talked about with Randy Orton, uh, the one where he talked to the press and the other one where we talked to Corey. And then I've, I've heard Edge on different platforms. Neither one of them like this tagline. They don't like it. They really, you know, even getting Sean and Kurt Angle and Ric Flair into this. Uh, by the way, Kurt, I love how you can always tell that Kurt's like reading a teleprompter because his eyes just make it so fucking obvious. But, um, you know, that's because he's good at actually doing promos. And that's what you should probably let him do. But whatever at WWE. Uh, just, they, they don't like this concept. Uh, they, you know, Randy said a statement that made a lot of sense that most, you know, he said, whether it be Flair and Steamboat, you know, uh, Savage and Steamboat, you know, Austin and Brett, he named a bunch of different matches. 
a lot of the ones that everyone names. Matches usually happen, and then you give them that label afterwards, after that they've proved, you know, and a lot of people don't realize out of nowhere that they're that match. And he said that to him, it's it's uh, Sean and Taker, which is a great match to pick. But, you know, he's, I, Edge didn't say this, but Brady said I, that he, um, he didn't think that he's ever had a match that could be considered. He said he's had ones that he's proud of. He was proud of an Iron Man match that he had with John Cena. Um, but, you know, him and Edge just seemed like they did not like this. Now, going back to the segment itself, I love Christian in this. I love Christian being the friend that I almost thought he was going to turn on him uh, at first, but he just was being the friend that was giving him the advice he needed to hear. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you know, you're older and now you're going to go into this thing that's being called, you know, it could be the greatest match of all time. It's like, dude, you haven't, you haven't even had the fucking greatest match of all time. Like, you know, and really put it to him, but it got to a point where at first Edge was pissed, but then he got it. And as soon as like it started turning around within the conversation, Randy Orton comes on the monitor to fuel the fire between the two of them and made more comments saying, you know, that basically he's that good and that's that people call him lazy. And it's like, well, as long as I get the fucking job done and having that heel persona that he has and that he's going to beat and destroy Edge. He doesn't really care about whether or not it's the greatest match. He is going to beat Edge. So um, I like this. I, I like this leading up to it, but I also I feel for both guys that they labeled it this. Like this is a Vinceism if I ever ever heard it, because this definitely didn't come from Paul Heyman. Yeah, this whole fucking thing is booked in reverse though, because this is the Sean Triple H build up to the Taker match at Hell in a Cell. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you have that match. And then you have this interview and like you have a regular match and then you do the WrestleMania match. (laughs) They did the blow off first. So everything has been booked in reverse. So it just comes off kind of weird. Also having Sean draw comparisons to either of the taker matches is not going to bode well for this match. I will say that uh, as far as WWE or WWF lineage goes, Edge has had and been part of some of the greatest matches. But it's the TLC matches, and there were a lot of great fucking workers in there. Yeah. So there's potential. I mean, Edge looked really good at Rumble, but you're also asking a guy who hasn't had an actual match, and then you're going to label it the greatest match of all time. Uh, it's just so much pressure on both these guys. It sucks because now that you said that, the immediate thing that everyone is going to throw out is even within your own company is like, wasn't as good as Ciampa and Gargano. Because it's not going to be as good as Ciampa and Gargano. It's just not. That's another person speaking about, going back to that thing, another person I feel like would have kind of told, you know, Randy to get his shit together with the comments back and forth was Tommaso Ciampa was Edge. Edge is good friends with both Gargano and especially Ciampa. And I'm sure you watched the documentary with Edge. Uh, he said that they they share that bond that only like select few wrestlers like Steve Austin, like Ciampa, where they've had that neck issue and shit like that. So I wonder if after that happened, Edge was like, dude, was this a fucking work or are you, are you just being a dickbag? Like, what the fuck was the point of that? Same thing as Triple H. Well, Triple H actually runs the thing, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, the thing that plays into it being a work is that the NyQuil thing of Randy Orton matches, while it's true, 
he is cutting promos about how he doesn't have to do as much because he's that much better than everyone else. Yeah. So it does play into that. And I've really liked, I've liked Orton's promos better than Edge's promos. Uh, I know, me too. And I think the build has been good. It's just they booked the shit in reverse. (laughs) So, and then they labeled it the greatest match of all time. I mean, the only way you could say that is like, you know, Thrilla in Manila, like, which was going to be just like, this might be the greatest boxing match of all time, like beforehand. But it was because it was Muhammad Ali and George Foreman again in this crazy scenario where there is more about the fight than just boxing. You know what I mean? There was like so yep. much that went into that. There's certain things you can say it before it happens, but <laughs> you can't just willy nilly with wrestling, especially in that company. I wish they would have gotten Austin or Brett to say something. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> just to hear I, bet you, I bet you what happened was actually Austin or Brett called either of the guys, especially Brett and Edge, because they have a good relationship and they're they're like, dude, he just fucked you. He just fucked you by labeling it this. <laughs> Like, especially because especially Austin not that long ago was talking about how the Okada-Kenny Omega match might have been the greatest wrestling match he had ever seen. Fucking kids. He works for them, by the way. That's so fucking weird that Austin has is now back in the WWE fold and that weird... I don't know. It's kind of killed his podcast for me to some extent. Well, he hasn't had one forever. I'd like to see another person. I'm just wondering. I mean, the ultimate conversation, I think, that everyone wants to see, because he's gotten The Undertaker finally. He's gotten Bret Hart. You know, we've heard him with Sean, Ric Flair twice. A lot of different legends. I want him in The Rock. I want him to interview Dwayne Johnson. They have so much in common. At one time, they were very close. Rock's done so much within his career outside of wrestling. And Austin's so good at interviewing. I'd love a two-hour interview with The Rock and him. Yeah, I would love to see The Rock. I would also love to see, like, Hogan. Well, Hogan Hogan had a first half, and they never did the second half. Yeah, that's right. His audio podcast. But I want to see the WWE version of that. Uh, Yeah, sit-down style. Yeah, I think that I think that would be okay. I mean, I don't know. In general, what I'm saying is like bringing in all these stars to talk about their great matches before this match. You are fucking man. You're you're making these guys make a really big magic trick happen. Because because <laughs> like, let's think about this. All right, that's what I'm saying. Like Ric Flair, three. I mean, he's had three matches with Steamboat, but a lot of people consider Chinatown Rumble one of the greatest matches of all time. Uh, he also had an amazing match with Terry Funk, um, you know, f- after that feud, basically. Um, he had an amazing match with Randy Savage, uh, you know, his, his Royal Rumble performance. I mean, these are all things that people think of as, as huge highlights within his career. Some of them could be considered greatest match of all time. Shawn Michaels, I mean, a million of them. Fucking him and Razor Ramon to start off with. That's so memorable with the ladder match, uh, him and Brett, the Iron Man match, him and Mankind at, at uh, whatchamacallit, um, uh, Mind Games, both matches with Undertaker, his match with Kurt Angle, his many matches with Jericho, uh, you know, there's, and then Kurt Angle, man. I mean, how many fucking good matches has Kurt Angle had? It's like them, ha- them having these guys that have had some of the best matches of all time 
just so much pressure to put on two dudes that, I mean, they're going to have a good match, but, and they've already filmed it too. They filmed it before takeover, but I hope it came out to their liking. <laughs> that That's something that sh- they should have leaked on purpose. And then like, if it was bad, they should have aired it differently <laughs> or something, you know, like, no was, kidding. you remember when Ben, like Ben Folds did that. Like he put out the spoof leak of his album and then put out the real album. Maybe that's what they should have done. <laughs> because at this point, you're I telling think... us it's a performance. That's the other thing I don't like about it is you're you're not talking about it being a competition. You're talking about it being a performance. And uh, while I realize that, I don't think that that's how wrestling should be booked. I can agree with that. And I think the spoof that they had was their match at WrestleMania. All right. Well, anyways, we're going to find out this weekend, and we're going to be able to talk more about this match <laughs> once we get to the uh, the preview and our predictions for Backlash. Uh, um, next up, MVP ran into our truth backstage, calling him a clown. Bobby Lashley attacked Truth and put him in the full Nelson. He looked right at his uh, 24-7, 7-11, I-95 uh, title and didn't want anything to do with it. Then the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders participated – and a decathlon that included eating turkey legs uh, in a contest, a dance-off, and pole vault. And the uh, team tied 5-5, five to five, so now they have to have a wrestling match uh, because they're tied on everything. The decathlon, some of, it was fu- some of it was funny. A lot of it was fucking cringeworthy as shit. Uh, how did you feel about both these segments, Chris? In the 90s, they would have broken this out across the entire show, which I think would have worked better for the decathlon thing. Like, if you think back to, uh, like, Shane McMahon's training, or was it Vince's training where he's chasing the chicken or whatever, and there was a whole, like, five-part segment, (laughs) right? So if they they had just spaced it out a little more, it was just too much condensed into, like, one 10-minute thing. Um, I think if they would have spaced it out in between matches, it would have been a bit better. I thought it was uh, the race was really funny, uh, where Montez is just like dusting the guy from like what was it? it was like a 400 meter race, and he basically lapped him, which was pretty funny. Um, I wish he would have said on your left. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty. I mean, there was funny parts in that. That was entertaining to me, so I didn't have a huge problem with it. I just, if it was me writing the show, I would have spaced it out the same way as they, they've done in the past with stuff like this. Like the Vince training thing is the, is the first thing that came to mind for me. It's like, okay, well, you could do this, but like space it out across the entire show. I mean, why not? But uh, yeah, it's it. it I like where they're going, but I don't know what the feud is. They've made they've made both of these tag team comedic tag teams. And whoever wins this, who are they gonna go against? Because I don't have we seen a tag team match that wasn't just two random fucking people thrown together on Raw in the past like month. No, and I'm gonna go super fantasy booking, <laughs> which is never gonna happen. But I've been right about certain things as of lately, you know, so who knows? We'll just throw it out there. What I would love for what what I would love to happen is if they have Viking Raiders, Street Profits, they have a really good match, very competitive, and at the end of it, after all this build up and all this goofiness and silliness, it was all a ploy. Viking Raiders win and they go to shake the hands of the Profits, and then they beat the living fuck out of each other. And Paul Ellering comes to the ring and introduces his new that he's gonna manage now. 
the Street Prof, or not Street Profits, the Viking Raiders, maybe giving them a new name that doesn't suck, and they go to being a vicious uh, heel-based team instead of this babyface uh, bullshit. Uh, That's what I would, I would love that, but I, I would love that, but Viking Raiders now, they're Earthquake and Typhoon. They're the natural disasters. Like that so, gimmick. Well, that, they're so, yeah. It, well, it's just a Vince. It's a Vinceism. They're stuck. I mean, the best thing that could happen to them is the Usos show up and beat the shit out of both of them. And they at least yeah. you have a third third tag team in the mix. Because right now, like the, the Raw tag division is non-existent because AOP doesn't exist. At least in my mind. Where the hell did those guys go? I know there's an injury, which sucks, but like, and honestly, it's probably better for the rest of the roster that they're not there since they continuously try to kill Samoa Joe every time he wrestles. Um, but <laughs> fuck, there is that. <laughs> well, I mean, there's no one else. So like, after you do this feud, this is the blow off. You built this giant story. There may be one other match you can get out of this, but you have no other tag team, and uh, you're very much against Cedric Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> and Ricochet, Ugh. which could be a tag team for you. I even I don't even really like that that much because I think those guys on their own could be big stars in other places. Uh, as Ricochet has proven in both New Japan and Lucha Underground. Um, no man. In NXT, but whatever. Like I, I I can't book the show for him, Dan. They won't let me. Yeah, I know. <sighs> well, maybe you can get the job when Bruce Pritchard gets fired. All right, so uh, U.S. Championship, number one contender match, uh, triple threat, Andrade, Angel Garza, Kevin Owens. And it kind of went the way I thought it was going to go, where KO was there to look like he was going to win, but then he gets taken out at the last minute, and either Angel or Andrade would be the fall guy to the other guy. And uh, it was a good match, uh, you know, very back and forth, very hard hitting. At the end of it, Owens hit a stunner on Garza. But Andrade came in, pushed him out of the ring, stole a pin for the match, and will move on to face Apollo Crews for the United States Championship at Backlash. Uh, this doesn't make Kevin Owens look weak. I don't know what the hell he's going to do from here. Angel, he's been doing really well lately, so this also adds fuel to him and Andrade and what's going on with Selena Vega. So that adds that storyline. And uh, Andrade gets his you know chance at redemption against Apollo Crews. So... We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I like the match. I just, like I said, I don't know what the fuck they're doing with Kevin Owens. I would love if they went with the, my original idea, which is the the inevitable breakup is because they, and they've done a lot of relationship stuff recently, so I don't want them to play too heavily in it. Just that Selena starts leaning towards Angel more, mm-hmm. and then you that's why they implode. Um, and hopefully you can like, get like, what, really... if, what if Chavo was cooler than Eddie? That, that's what the scenario would be. But he could be because he could take it. He could take Selena Vega. Right. And then he could come up with a gimmick name, like something like Mr. Stole your girl or something. <laughs> and you get like, that's a good fucking dag line gimmick name. WWE can send me cash for that. But, I, I think that's where this is going. It's just weird that Kevin Owens is thrown in the mix, and this was basically a handicap match. And also, Kevin Owens should be a, a level above them and be able to take both of them out based on how he's been booked in the past, but whatever. Yeah. He, he didn't look weak because of the finish, but also, like, shitty design for a match, kind of. 
why not just make it a four-way? <laughs> Throw some other random person in there. Like, I don't know, Buddy Murphy. Don't all these groups have heat with each other anyways? Yeah, I think so. So, like, they could have thrown, like, literally, like Austin Theory, they could have thrown him in there. He turned on them, right? Yep. So, it just, the whole thing was fucking weird. The match itself was good because everyone in the ring is fucking great workers. I I don't know what the storyline, I mean, the storyline to me is still, like, Angel Garza kind of coming out like an like you said the, the Chavo becoming the Eddie. I think that he's cooler than Andrade. He Andrade's is. just like a good heel. So it's he's uh, just, I, they they have it's it's funny. You know what the two of them Andrade reminds me of Eddie when he was in WCW and he had that like chip on his shoulder heel persona for so long. While Angel reminds me of the lie cheat and steal smiles mamacita Eddie Guerrero in WWE. Well, I, mean, I mean, it would be great if he broke them up and then like dumps her or something and then like takes Otis's girl and like you make that his gimmick because <laughs> they're already kind of doing that with this Charlie Caruso. He's like flirting with her constantly. They also rehash that on NXT with Damian Priest. So I hope they're not doing the same storyline on two shows. But uh, yeah. There, there's All stuff right. you can do there. That match was just fucking weird the way it was put together. All right, so next we had MVP. Uh, you're supposed to interview Bobby Lashley on the VIP lounge, but Drew McIntyre showed up. McIntyre threatened to beat MVP with a Claymore kick, but Lashley appeared to stop him. Mac- McIntyre decided to just headbutt MVP instead. Viking Raiders and Street Profits came to the ring, leading to the next match. Uh, after the commercial, Lana said in an interview that she was worried about her Bobby. Uh, she's been neglecting her own career and that 2020 will be her year. Well, that's no one's year, so it's good to try to say that. Um, MVP and Bobby Lashley defeated the Viking Raiders. Uh, Lashley tapped out Eric in the full Nelson. McIntyre made the post-match save for the Vikings. Um, yeah. Um, all over the place. So many fucking people trying to combine stuff. But at least baby faces are helping baby faces and heels are helping heels. And I mean, I can't complain about both things. And that's what a lot of us fans do. But uh, it's setting up everything, but nothing really happened. Um, or maybe a lot of the same happened. What'd you think, Chris? MVP is a great promo. Amazing. And I like, I like MVP. We'll just put that in that segment. Lana having uh, the year of Lana. Like, I don't know if people remember her matches, but probably not going to happen. She's no, unless yeah, I I think uh, think maybe she's probably on the way out as soon as the storyline's done. Unfortunately for Lana, well, maybe fortunately because she could end up with Rusev somewhere else. Yeah, maybe. I I don't I don't know. It's a it's weird to think about, but anyways, before uh, the match happened with MVP and or or yeah, MVP and uh, Bobby Lashley versus the Viking Raiders, was that the match? I just fucking went over this. Yeah, uh, Charlotte Flair was interviewed backstage, and Oscar interrupted and slapped her in the face. This would lead up to the match that was supposed to happen at the beginning. Charlotte Flair uh, going against the Raw Women's Champion Oscar, and Bailey and Sasha sat on commentary while this was going on. Uh, but were attacked by the Iconics. Nia Jax interfered, distracting Asuka, so Charlotte could hit a big boot and win the match. Afterward, 
Jax hit a Samoan drop on Asuka. The match itself, without all the bullshit that surrounded it and the ending and, and, and whatnot, which was fine because, you know, Charlotte Flair always beats Asuka. It's like Asuka always beats Becky, except for one time. Charlotte always beats Asuka. Uh, Bailey somehow always beats Charlotte. They have these, like, little mini things, and Charlotte always beats Sasha. Going on. So this is kind of in a roundabout way Asuka fucked. So it didn't make her look bad, and the in-ring work during the match, very similar to how I felt about Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles. These are the two, to me, in my personal opinion, two of the best wrestlers, period, in the company, like AJ and Daniel, but two, probably the two best female wrestlers in the company. And they they usually put on good matches. So um, I didn't have a problem with the, the, the uh, fact that Asuka lost. Uh, this gives Charlotte a reason to want to go against Asuka in the future for that title, and they will continue to have awesome matches. And I'm looking forward to Nia Jax getting uh, beaten this weekend. She better. She better not get that fucking title. Anyways, how'd you feel about the ending? I mean, it's all set up for Nia, so it, I didn't like the ending. I liked the match, much like you. And it is very much a rock, paper, scissors thing that they've looked their self into. Um, best female wrestlers on the roster by far, definitely Oscar and Charlotte. Uh, Carrie is probably the actual best wrestler <laughs> on <Yeah>. the roster. <laughs> um, as far no as like female wrestlers go, <laughs> but they just have to stop dropping her on her fucking head and putting her against Nia. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, it, I can't, I, I can't, could you imagine Carrie Zane? Just, the, just, just. Let's, let's pretend like she ne- she just came over from stardom and now she's in AEW. And it's like her versus H- Akira Shida and Nyla Rose, right? Yeah. Like, she's fucking phenomenal and uh, dropped on red. But yes, I agree with you as far as top female talent. I, I would say Io Shirai is there as well and-, and Rhea Ripley if you're looking at the NXT roster, but that's probably that probably rounds out my top five. Maybe Bianca is up there or has potential to be up there bianca's phenomenal they just i I haven't got to see enough of her because she seems like she always gets booked really shitty uh and she's on main event now that's where she has been for a while i weren't weren't they doing something with her prime time uh did i almost call it the prime time players again street profits (laughs) 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 i can't i I, I don't mean to do that that's not that's just for whatever reason those two names are just not a million dollars, million dollars, making moves, making moves, making a million dollars. Sorry, that's yeah. probably what it is because that theme song is like one of the best WWE's ever put out. <laughs> it's a fucking awesome one. It's a banger. All right, let's uh let's let's move on to AEW, man. Uh, really like the show. Really liked NXT. Um, I thought they both had very solid shows. So we start off with FTR. And going against the Butcher and the Blade, which was promoted, obviously, last week. Um, and it was a good match, man. Really good tag team match. Two solid tag team matches. And I loved Chris Jericho on commentary because he kept on pointing that out to 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 JR. You know, he's like, we're going to have to get you a Moscow mule because they're, they're doing everything right, JR. It's like, there was one time, and it was funny because FTR put it on their Twitter, where JR, I think this is the one I texted you about, 
where JR called it that they forgot to do an official pin because they weren't holding the rope. And JR, you know, if anything happens like that, usually says something about it. People bitch about it, but it's like, you know, no, that 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 should be that should happen. Um, but FTR was like, good call, JR, good call. But yeah, man, both tab matches that started off this one and then the ladies one afterwards was you know, fast pace when it needed to be fast pace, slow down when it needed to be slowed down, very competitive, hard hitting, and everyone there was no fucking hey, what happened to tag? Who the hell's in the match? It they looked really good and uh, I liked it. FTR of course, one after the match, FDR were telling Tony Schiavone that this was a pinnacle, uh, that this is the pinnacle of tag team wrestling, and that they and then they were interrupted by the Young Bucks. The Bucks introduced themselves and said that they haven't properly introduced themselves and that they were the single handedly um, been carrying wrestling for a decade and a half and uh, just went back and forth. Very aggressive. The the Butcher uh, attacked the Bucks, and then Kenny Omega and Hangman Page came down. Uh, somehow, once again, uh, FTR attacked the Butcher and the Blade, helping out the Bucks. Uh, Kenny and Hangman came out. They started going at it with uh, Butcher, or not Butcher and Blade, um, with FTR. And then Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc attacked them. And basically, once all the heels left, we were down to the tag champions, Hangman Page and Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks. And FTR, which if FTR gets a couple more wins, they should be uh, pretty close up on the the Raiders, but they have to get those wins. So I think that's what they're setting up for. I don't know if it's going to be a three-way at first, and then eventually we'll, we'll just get FTR in the Bucks. But I feel like FTR is going to get those belts eventually off of Kenny and Hangman Page to have that as not a prop, but a, a thing for the Bucks who have not won those titles to compete for. And we'll get like a Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, Rockers, Brain Busters, whatever the fuck comparison you want to compare it to, styled feud between them. But I like this. I like the match. I like the setup afterwards. I know it was a whole bunch of guys coming out, but it was the top rated uh, tag teams, all of them, you know, involving each other. Heels fled, and we have this competitive nature between those three tag teams. How did you like the match, Chris? How did you like Chris Jericho on commentary? And how did you like the aftermath of the three-way stare down between the Young Bucks, Omega, and Page, and FTR? So I absolutely loved this match for the most part. There was the, the when they went for what used to be the Shatter Machine. I don't know what the hell they're calling it now. Um, I, I can't remember what they called it. I, anyways, they fucked that know. up bad because they picked the dude from was it the guy from every time i die or whatever they tried to pick his big ass up and fuck that (laughs) like that was a botch it was really bad um but the rest of the match was really really good as far as quality in ring stuff it was good to see uh it was good to see the revival like actually be able to work a match (laughs) again since nxt that was fun I like the heels getting cleared out by the baby faces. I also like that Adam Page's new gimmick is that he's basically Ricky from Trailer Park Boys, and he never puts down his drink. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> he's like whipping ass with a glass of whiskey in his hand. He also took forever to get out there. <laughs> Which is awesome. pretty, just pretty great. Uh, I think this is the Bucks heel turn because they're obviously positioning the revival as baby faces in this scenario which would make sense based on how the young bucks have berated them over the years right 
not I mean I think jokingly obviously but if you if you watch BD Elite even going back to when they were in Japan the 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 FTR stands for fuck the revival and WWE did that cease and desist shit and then they weren't able to play off that anymore so it's really funny that they were able to name their tag team that <laughs> such a such a such a weird but simple name I don't know when, when it comes to the heel turn I guess I can share this. It, 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 I don't think it's ever going to happen, but once again, it's one of the situations where I'll throw it out there. What I would love to happen, and this would shake shit up real fucking bad, um, is if you have the Bucks and you have the Revival, maybe it could be the first match or it could be the second match between them. I don't know. Maybe the Revival win the first one, and then the second one is kind of screwy, but they're still playing off this, we could be baby faces type of thing. Um, but after the match, you know, you go from handshakes to Revival just fucking destroying them and just beating the living hell out of them. And then come the troops like normally. You have Cody come out and, and maybe Dustin come out. And while that's going on, you know... You could throw a fourth person in there, maybe an MJF, maybe a, a wrestler that hasn't been introduced that could come to AEW, whoever that may be. Uh, MJF is not as a thought, but basically, inevitably, what happens? Arm runs out. You know, you have everyone presented, and you think Cody's obviously going to help his friends, and he goes after whoever. And basically, there is now the revival, Cody. Maybe MJF, you don't want to use MJF, another heel, just decimating people. He opens up his own brother, you know, Kenny and fucking Adam run out. and They take them out quickly, too. And you're left with the elite completely destroyed. And now this new heel team led by Cody with the revival, obviously resembling kind of a horseman. Because now you can position them as the heel team because we have a cult. But, you know, they're kind of... I don't know how I still feel about, even though I love Brody Lee, I don't know how I feel about them. And now the Undisputed Era is like the NWO. Their NWO meets uh, Entourage, like I said. They're cool. People like them. So it's okay if you really actually have a vicious heel tag team. And I feel like Cody could be going that way. And I like that at the same time, even though he's a great babyface. But... It could be nothing like that. I'm just kind of projecting, like I said, fancy booking like I like to do on the show. I like that before the match started that they pointed out that there was three people scouting them, which was Jake the Snake Roberts, Tully Blanchard, and Arn Anderson all watching their match at Reedside. It was yep. very much the macho man who can get these guys as part of their stable, which made them feel like even a bigger deal than they've already made them feel like. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's that no, same yeah. kind of thing where they were like definitely positioning the managers against each other. Like, hey, we should scoop these guys up, right? Especially like Tully and Arn. The thing is, Arn is managing, technically is managing or coaching, as they say, Cody, right? So it would make sense, Tully versus Arn. Did you, did you, did you see, though, uh, Sean Spears all mopey in the background stare, staring with a big frown on his face at Tully? That was pretty fucking funny. Yeah, it's pretty fucking funny that they might start a new Four Horsemen and then he'll just be the Tully of the Four Horsemen. <laughs> Man. Uh, Get roasted, Tully. I, love I don't Tully think... I, I hope he kind of fucks him over. Because what, what would be great is in that scenario, like I said, even if you had just Cody and, and FTR, 
Um, you have Arn come out, and Arn could also act like he's being a babyface, and for the first time ever, he spine busts Dustin or something like that in the middle of the ring. And Tully comes out, and they're both the guys in charge. Tully's with the tag team, Arn's with Cody. And, of course, you have that 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 natural Four Horsemen-style spirit camaraderie with them. But I don't know. I, I just kind of – I would like – even though he's such a good babyface, it's weird, but I'd love to see Cody as a heel because I think he's an excellent heel, and he's gotten better as an in-ring performer. So I don't know. I would I, – I, I mean, obviously the, the, the absolute want would be Jim Cornette coming in and, and being part of the revival. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. But if he was going to come in and do business – wouldn't it be even better if instead Adam Page had a relationship with Jim Cornette while Jim Cornette secretly hated Kenny or openly hated Kenny Omega as a manager? Yeah. Like that would be fun. There's a lot of fun things they could do. I like Jake the Snake being there. Yeah. As part of this, because someone like the Butcher and the Blade does fit. And it almost seems like they're going the New Japan route with these little mini factions, which I think yep. is okay if, if done right. Um, but let's say that he was scouting the Butcher and the Blade, right? He puts them together with Murderhawk. Now you've got like a vicious looking tag team and singles. And them against like the Jurassic Express or SoCal Uncensored or, you know, that's awesome. It's, it's a lot of fun, man. Uh, it's great. Uh, it's great to see managers in wrestling because they can do yes. a lot. <laughs> they can make a lot of really cool shit happen. <laughs> God, I just, I just, I just picture that happen. Like Arn's like, "Hey, what's up?" And then Spawn Buster to fucking Dustin, and then Dustin can kind of play, you know, maybe ditch the makeup and play his father in this role against Cody and his new evil faction. I don't know. Well, I mean, Dustin kind of came off as a heel later in the show, which we'll get to. Yes. Well, I think that's actually you might be talking about what's next because Dasha Gonzalez interviewed the Natural Nightmares. Along with Brandy Rhodes and Allie, Brandy was annoyed that Allie was wearing a Nightmare Family jacket, but QT said he gave it to her because she's part of the family now, since she's his girl. By the way, uh, the Butcher, no, the Blade is actually the husband of Allie, but whatever, I guess, obviously it's television. But QT's, um, yeah, anyways, Dustin said he needs QT's head in the game next week because they have a title shot against Omega and Paige. And the thing is, here's my problem with the title shots. This has happened recently where the guy that's the number one standing isn't getting the title shot and isn't winning some type of competition to get there. All of a sudden, they're just, you know, in a match. So it's kind of like, I don't know, they're usually really good about it, but this is another situation where I don't think that they're next in line at all. I could be wrong, but I don't, unless we're going by dark, which I don't watch. I don't remember them winning that many things, but uh, how'd you like this segment? I want to see this play out because if it does go the route of the Young Bucks being heel or the Elite being like kind of a heel group, Dustin Rhodes could sandbag QT because he doesn't want to see the titles change hands. Right? Or you could have the opposite of where, you know, they screw over Kenny Omega and Adam Page as a group. And kind of outcast them because Kenny Omega has kind of chosen Paige as a friend over the elite to some extent going back in storyline. So there's a lot of fun things you can do off this. The the best one of the there's two good commentary things I forgot to mention on the last last match that really stood out to me when they came back from this alley interview. Tony Schiavone is like, what the hell's going on with Ali? 
<laughs> Why is she even there? Basically, which was funny as fuck. Because as a viewer, that's what I was thinking. Um, and then before that, when Chris Jericho was talking about is it the butcher with all the tattoos and the monocle, he was like talking about his prison tattoos, and Chris Jericho was like, "Yeah, I have a prison tattoo. I know what's up." <laughs> it's really fucking funny. I forgot what it was. There's was, there was at one point where Chris Jericho was like, "Yeah." I'll tell you exactly where it is. And then Excalibur was like, so so are you going to tell us? He was like, I have no idea. I was just making that up. Like, just Jericho was so good on fucking commentary. Yeah, I mean, even when this man decides to hang it up in the ring, he's got a career forever as either a manager or a commentator. He's great. And I'll say he's this. putting everyone over. Uh, a lot of people bitched about there being four people on commentary, but to me, it did not distract from the show and no. it get the people over. And Jericho, if anything, made it more entertaining. Whereas he wasn't there the whole night. Whereas, like WWE does, like three man commentating teams, and they step all over each other, and it's normally bad. That's the next show we'll be doing. Um, Nyla Rose and Penelope Ford with Kip Sabian went against Hikiro Shida and Chris Statlander. Uh, pretty damn good match, like I said, man. Um, just good tag team match. Uh, all these ladies are fucking impressive. Uh, Ford hit Shida in the face with her own championship belt behind the rest back and then hit a bridging fisherman suplex to pin her. I thought it was a really good win for Penelope Ford. And everyone was like, why didn't Nyla get it? Because she was the champion. Because that sh- it wasn't designed to get Nyla a win. She got a win, but Penelope got a big win beating the champion. So, I mean, that's that that's more important in, in the scheme of things of, of, of building wrestlers, I, w- I would say. But, uh, like I said, good match. All ladies looked, like, stacked. The, the women's division, which was a huge complaint, you know, a couple months ago for me, uh, is doing really well and, uh, you know, expanding and becoming really, really good. So, how'd you like this match, Chris? I like this match. This might... Man, it's really tough between this and the Cody match, but this might have been my favorite match of the night. I liked the finish. I, I kind of wish she would have just won clean. Penelope. Like, either with a roll-up or a tights grab or, or something as opposed to the belt shot. Just because I feel like... Uh, it seems like they're positioning her in the Britt Baker position now. And that kind of makes sense. And and for people complaining about like Nyla not getting the win, Nyla doesn't need the win because she's a dominant monster. And technically she did get the win because she's on the team that won. As far as who got the pin, with Penelope being ranked fifth, which they talked about on commentary, going into the match, I kind of knew Penelope was probably getting the win because they really played up the rankings going into the match so if you're like paying attention to it uh because there's good commentary on the show they gave you an outline of what that title picture looks like so her getting a win is a huge deal for penelope ford and also with nyla you can if they decide they're gonna do mixed wrestling having her versus penelope ford because nyla is a lone wolf badass monster right well now you can bring in your why can't I think of the guy's name right now? You can bring in your Jimmy Havocs. You can bring in uh, Kip Sabian and Nyla just demolish both of them, right? To get a title shot or to win the title. 
there's a lot of different things that you can do to play out with that. So I had absolutely no problem with it. And I actually liked this match a lot. I thought it was very, very fucking good. And uh, specifically, there was one spot, and I think it was Statlander who did it, where she threw... There was like a... It was like they went for a tag team move, and she basically threw Nyla into a spear (laughs) against Penelope Ford. Oh, yeah, uh, that was awesome. I I hadn't seen that. If I had seen it before, I'd forgotten about it. I thought that was a really cool fucking spot. And uh, yeah, just overall, I really enjoyed this match, man. Nyla's hitting on all cylinders right now for me. She's looked very, very good in the ring. I will say the little setup with the double um, top rope spot she did, where she draped both of them, it just took too long. So if they're going to do that again, she needs to like springboard up or something so it's a little quicker. Or instead of them dangling their fucking feet, like really make it look like you knocked both of them the fuck out and they're kind of positioned there before you do it. So it's a little more realistic of, you know, the amount of time, even though she hops right the fuck up on the top turnbuckle. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's it's very impressive. I think she needs to go to the Kevin Owens school of popping up on the ropes, though, where it's instantaneous like when he does that which he hasn't done in a long time but when he would do the moonsault and just pop up like immediately off that like if she could incorporate that if they're going to do that spot um yeah but that's a very small complaint in what otherwise was a very fucking good match and uh Sheeta looked good in it i think everyone looked good in this match because it was a fuck win right and nyla looked dominant and uh penelope ford got the shitty win like her manager interfered in the match she had the title belt shot i mean i don't know how you could have booked this match any better honestly i mean outside of i would have just probably gave her a clean win but outside of that like it's just nitpicking this was a great fucking match loved it loved it good shit all right so tony hawk appeared in the video where darby allen uh practiced since he's not cleared to wrestle he was going to practice his skating, um, and this skating involved him falling off the top of a ladder uh, because when he got hurt, uh, he was on top of the ladder and then, you know, tried to jump through it, but then the guy moved and he hit the ladder and just nailed it. So now he was trying to hit it on a ramp in the way so he could go down the ramp. Tony was there cheering him on, uh, and it just a bunch of times of him fucking it up either going flying forward or falling really hard. And this guy's a maniac. This guy was his Twitter every fucking day. New crazy stunt. He was on the fifth floor of a hotel and he jumped in the goddamn pool. Then there's another video of him and Travis Pastrana. And I mean, it's a foam pit, but it's way the fuck down. And he just jumps backwards, coffin drop, says world's uh, largest coffin drop was what he labeled as. Darby Allen's a fucking maniac, and um, he, I think his ankle is a little bit fucked up, but he should be cleared soon. But man, he's a—he uh, is a young enigma, Chris. Yes, they're definitely going for that, and he was like that in Evolve too. Like I said, I, I definitely recommend watching that Evolve the Wrestlers documentary, where it shows some of the shit that he was even doing on the indie scene. And some of the shit he was doing skateboarding when they kind of go into who Darby Allen is as a person. Definitely worth a watch. I like this a lot. And I always like when I see Tony Hawk because he is a legitimately legitimate good dude. So <laughs> it's always good to see the Hawkman and knowing that game's coming out in September. It's just, ah, 
so excited. I hope Darby's on it. I, I hope so too. I hope unlockable uh, character Kenny Omega with like some kind of V trigger. <laughs> Hopefully, there's just a full AEW roster of people on this game. That'd be great as downloadable characters or some shit. I am down. All right, so we had a Britt Baker montage. Uh, where she talked about being a role model. And by the way, now the whole role model, R-O-L-L model, that's on her uh, giant, um, whatever the hell that... I mean, it's it's not a wheelchair. I guess it is a wheelchair with Reba, who's actually Rebel, like I said. And I love how <laughs> throughout the duration of it, of the match with the ladies and them having Brit. And Chris calling her Reba and them correcting him and or correcting him and be like, no, actually, she doesn't know her name. It's actually Rebel. Well, I'm going by what the uh, what the doctor said. So her name's Reba. But uh, this whole fucking video is hilarious. And it really just came down to setting up. It looks like for when she returns um, a, a feud with Big Swole, who she has been talking shit in the audience with even beforehand. And she even brought brought up that she's tired of her attitude. So I thought this montage was hilarious. Uh, Britt Baker is taking advantage of a shitty situation, and she's still getting herself over. And and kudos to her. Uh, that's all I gotta say about that. I agree with you 100%. And I love that uh, it seems like Chris Jericho like talked to her about the promo things. Like it's funny if you call them by the wrong name because that's definitely Jericho's gimmick when he was doing the list. Yep. Like he, he called Dasha, Sasha, Charlie, Charles. Like, remember, he would fuck up their names every time he had a backstage interview for a while. And then he would write their names on the list incorrectly, which was great. Uh, Jericho, that she def, that's the tip of the hat to Jericho, which I love. Now, just like, can't everyone do it, though? As soon as everyone starts doing it, it's not as cool. Nope. It is not. Well, we had the best friends in Orange Cassidy going against Pride and Powerful and Jack Hager. And basically, it's a good match back and forth. You have a lot of good wrestlers. I mean, you know, the former LAX, Pride and Powerful. Orange Cassidy is always fun to watch. Trent Beretta. Uh, Jake Hager's just a beast. And there's Chuck, too, I guess. Um, Orange Cassidy managed to trap and pin Ortiz. And this led to, after the match, Jericho running off from commentary, leaving commentary before the second hour, and just going to the ring and had his bat and hit Orange Cassidy in the head with it, busting him open. Uh, the blood was coming from the top of his head, but it looked like it was coming from his ear. So that looked pretty damn vicious. And then attacked him with a bag of blood oranges that somehow Tony Schiavone knew that they were blood oranges because he told us 50 fucking times. But either way, pretty vicious, man. Yeah, isn't that like an Italian mob thing where they beat him with oranges so you can't like see the marks or whatever? I don't, I don't remember. There's something like that. But uh, pretty vicious attack. This is obviously going to set up an awesome match with Jericho against Orange Cassidy. That's probably going to do really, really big things, even if he loses for Orange Cassidy stock, I would say. I am. I, I loved this segment. Other than he... Tony Schiavone got to WWE WCW with just repeating it over and over and over again. Like he could have just asked like, are those blood oranges? Like as jokingly. Um, but this, this fits in with this cruise 
gimmick because if, if you go back to was Pride and Powerful or LAX, uh, they use the socks filled with coins, right? So this is just a take on that, which I also appreciated the busting open of of Orange Cassidy getting getting a little color, liked it. Um, I'm hoping that they turn Orange Cassidy if they give him like the Big Show's punch. So they kind of make him like a one punch man because I'm assuming this is going to end up with some kind of weird Mike Tyson, Orange Cassidy versus Jericho <laughs> somehow. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? So like Mike Tyson is training him how to knock someone out so that Orange it's Sammy, Cassidy. It's got to be it's got to be Sammy and Jericho versus Mike Tyson and uh and fucking Orange Cassidy. That would, would be awesome. Be- which would be great. And then you now Orange Cassidy has another very lazy thing because like, I mean, if, if you guys have watched One Punch Man, you kind of know that like the story of One Punch Man, right? You could do that. Maybe that's what they're going for. That'd be great. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, either way, we get to see Jericho versus Orange Cassidy, which would be great. And, and then Orange Cassidy once again showed that he's really fucking good at what he does. Whether you like his gimmick or not, uh, he makes that shit work and he's very over. I could see, I could definitely see People complaining about it because it can be a bit annoying and does at times look fake, right? Or unrealistic, I should say. Um, but he's made it work for him, and it's not is it's not like it was on the indies. I'll say that. But yeah, I, I look forward to this, and I look forward to more interaction with Mr. Mike Tyson and Chris Jericho because if they start cutting promos on each other, <laughs> especially if you write out Tyson's promos. Uh, that'll be hilarious. So down for that. Oh, Mike Tyson. We should have had him against Dennis Rodman back in the day for WCW versus WWE. The worm versus fucking Tyson. I feel like Tyson would have legitimately knocked him out, though. Oh, yeah, in real life. But, I mean... Well, well no, I mean in shoot, because, like, Rodman had a way of rubbing people the wrong way. So he probably, like, Tyson probably would just fucking... Well, yeah, I mean, as a basketball player, he basically just, like, the elbow motherfuckers in the face and just push them on the ground and shit, so... I highly recommend uh, watching the... For for the listeners out there, even if you're not a huge... Everyone was a huge Bulls fan in the 90s, so if you're a 90s kid, watch the Rodman 30 for 30 and also watch the the Last Dance documentary, specifically... I'm on episode... I'm on episode seven. Loving it. It's great. I'm not the biggest, you know, outside of boxing and MMA and I guess pro wrestling, I'm not the biggest sports guy, but I love documentaries. And of course, I was watching a lot of Chicago games back in the 90s. I mean, that was and you just forget, dude, how smooth as butter fucking Michael Jordan is and how nice of a dude he was, you know, just fucking badass. He's a it's it's a really eye opening situation of the entire bulls organization basically knowing that they could probably win more one more championship and telling them basically all to get the fuck out of town and them going out there and winning one championship and then throwing the birds up and basically (laughs) leaving for the most part jordan just left (laughs) after that and phil jackson retired for two years until he went to obviously to la um to win his championships with kobe and Shaq, and then later on with Shaq or with kobe uh, which man, it's it's it must be great to be Phil Jackson, the coach, like two of the greatest basketball players of all time. Yeah. But yes, this is not the basketball po- podcast. But the Rodman stuff specifically, when they're talking about like 
one day he just didn't show up at practice. And the next night or the same night we were looking on TV and he's just drinking booze with Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan. Yep, man. Because <laughs> he loved wrestling. He was, I mean, if you think about it, in, the, in, in that era, he really helped out rating-wise bring eyes to WCW, much like Tyson did to WWE. And, and also, I mean, even Carl Malone, and I, I mean, obviously, Dave yep. Dallas Page has talked about this to, to a huge extent because of the Bulls-Jazz kind of feud. It brought a lot of viewers that wouldn't normally watch that product, which there wasn't a lot of people not watching that product at that point because they were like both WCW in like WWF were kicking on all cylinders. We're talking like 4 million people, 5 million people watching the shows <laughs> during that time. Um, but yeah, when, and Rod well, 3 and, million, 3 million was a very low number for wrestling. Yeah. Jesus. Rodman, uh, Rodman, Rodman changed things by players being more outspoken and having more of a personality in general, that entire Detroit team, specifically oh. the bad boys, um this that's you see now like it, and i would say like rodman and alan iverson coming out and being their own selves and, and being those huge personalities now you see that all over the place in basketball like nba is huge because of twitter and shit talking and the way they go after the media and stuff but like if you go back and watch them you know you had like jordan was jordan but jordan was like in the in the eye of the beholder was like a Mickey Mouse until the gambling shit came out. Like he's like the perfect <laughs> kind of character for what they wanted him to be. Uh, I just I just love that defensively he needed Rodman, offensively he really needed Pippen, even though he was a maniac by himself. Just the, the segment they were doing with him in the late eighties, just annihilating while bad from LL Cool J's playing in the background. Fucking great documentary. Definitely check it out, guys. If if you're into, you know, I, I'm into athletes. I'm into documentaries. I don't watch the games. I used to be into basketball. I think football and basketball I've gotten into in my life beforehand. But I like combat sports, and staying as a consistent fan with other sports has never been my thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's the one thing that's special about Michael Jordan is that he was so good. He transcended basketball. Absolutely. So even if you even if you weren't a fan you, of basketball, you wanted to see him play. And that's what kind of makes, to me, makes him the greatest of all time. Because it's like the same thing as watching Wayne Gretzky. Watching someone be so perfect and just incredible at what they do. You know, this is uh, off topic. And it's kind of off topic, but I mean, it can can include wrestling. It's talking to my brother. And I have to say that either, and this is for anything. This is including fucking NASCAR. This is including skateboarding. This is including pro wrestling. Uh, MMA, it seems like there is a case that you could say that the 90s, either athletes ending their careers in the 90s, striving throughout the whole 90s, or starting off at the tail end of the 90s, that the 90s itself had probably the best athletes of any decade, I could argue. Yeah, I could... You could definitely argue that for sure. I mean, there's a lot of great. I mean, the thing is, is everyone else got better. You had huge standouts. Like with hockey, goaltending got better because of people like Wayne Gretzky. So the, the sports themselves changed, right? Um, mm-hmm. With something like the UFC or the UFC, for instance, or boxing, do you consider someone from the 90s better than Mike or like better than Muhammad Ali? No. <laughs> it, it, with boxing, it's like, 
because I kind of broke this down and I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I think Jerry Rice, considered by many people, if you look at football, is one of the best wide receivers of all time. Would you agree with that? Yes, which would, I mean, well, once again, the game changed. So it's now you have to do. Not only that, we got to realize steroids definitely play into this type of stuff for a lot of sports, including baseball. But still, you know, in quarterbacks, you had Joe Montana at the tail end. Brett Favre started his, or, or not the tail end. You had Joe Montana at the beginning, ending his career. You had Brett Favre at the end. You had John Elway in there. You had Dan Marino in there. Uh, baseball, there's so many fucking good players. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., you know, your huge power hitters like Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds, uh, fucking Pedro Martinez for for pitchers. And and then you go to MMA, you have Roy Hoist Gracie, Ken Shamrock. Frank Shamrock basically invented MMA as, a, as an art uh, martial arts by itself by taking everything and putting it in one. Uh, you know, you got fucking Dale Earnhardt. You got Tony Hawk. You got. So many good basketball players, so uh, great hockey players. It's just like, I don't know soccer, but I would say, like I said, the 90s. And then with wrestling, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio for performance-wise. And then the big names. You have Stone Cold and The Rock at the end of it, and Hulk Hogan and Flair finishing up their careers within the middle of it. Well, they're, they're, they're golden years, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. There was a lot of great athletes in general in the 90s, probably some of the best of all time. It's just hard to judge because everything evolves. Yep. Except That's for with wrestling. Basically said. <laughs> Except for with <laughs> yeah. wrestling because Okada is the greatest of all time. <laughs> uh, hey, everyone, here's our, 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 our... If you don't know what our music is, go check out Kazuchika Okada, please, for God's sakes. Uh, anyways, let's, let's... No, I, I mean, I wouldn't put him at greatest of all time. I was mostly kidding, but there, that's the argument to be made is taking that style and making it different because it evolved in every one of those different situations. But I think sports in general during the nineties, as far as the public eye goes and, and some of those names that you named, it was just a way oh, and, bigger deal and, seemingly. And then you got the two double, uh, fucking um sports players between the freak that we never got to see him end with bo jackson and deon sanders i mean there's so many fucking good athletes the dream team yeah, it's, it's, for the olympics for basketball you know it's just ridiculous at one time magic johnson larry bird and michael jordan were all playing and i know that was in the 80s as well but i'm just saying like fucking nuts Fucking nuts. Anyways, let's move on. Sorry, guys. A uh, little side uh, conversation, but it's true. It is true. Uh, Kurt Angle, who was in the Olympics, also a, a part of that. Fedor Emelianenko, one of the best MMA fighters of all time, was killing it in judo uh, competitions in the late 90s. I'm just saying. Bas Rutin, another MMA legend. Just, just look it up. Just look it up. Ray jo Roy Jones Jr. dominated fucking boxing. And then you also had Tyson uh, with the rest of his career. Uh, fucking craziness. I mean, I mean, Evander Holyfield had a heart problem and beat the shit out of a there lot you go. of people. Like <laughs> Lennox Lewis, you know, Holyfield. I mean, it just keeps on going and going like it's, the Energizer Bunny. It's a, uh, and maybe we're looking on it about like a little bit nostalgic and and hopefully like maybe someone will listen to this podcast 10 years from now and be like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Sports was way better in the 2000s or whatever. 
<laughs> but um, there was it, it's the it was more like it was a major accomplishment to become a sports star than than it is now. Like something that transcends like Michael Jordan, right? Like everyone knew who Michael Jordan, regardless if you watch basketball or not, was. And also the pride for the American Olympics in '96 and and kind of that in general is way different than it is now. But yes, I think I think we should move on to wrestling again. <laughs> La da da dee. Yeah, I blame this all on Tony Hawk. So we had a little bit of a crash, but we're back. <laughs> you know, uh, Tony Hawk. But yeah, it's 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 a true statement, man. I mean, and there's so many athletes we forgot out of all those sports and everything. Uh, but even in wrestling, like Chris Jericho, who started anyway. So. That whole situation with Jericho and Orange Cassidy should be a really fun match. And you know that Jericho is going to want to put over Orange Cassidy, I would say. Uh, afterwards, at ringside, MJF picked a fight with Billy Gunn and the uh, the Gunn's uh, sons, Austin and his other son, saying that he was going to try to get – try to basically beg to get his other son a job with AEW. I love that Austin's not the one going in the ring and it's Billy. And we can find out – how imposing he is as a fucking wrestler compared to even Wardlow. He just makes everyone, Luchasaurus, Wardlow, everyone look small. But uh, we're going to have a match with uh, MJF and Billy Gunn. So that should be interesting. Um, are you are you excited to see that, Chris? Yeah, because they're just going to work an old school style match because that's what MJF kind of does anyways. So I'm sure it'll be pretty good. I like that they're not giving us Billy Gunn's kid right off the bat. And they're building a storyline, which is what w, uh, WWF should have been doing with Ray's kid. I completely agree. So, I, you know, they haven't we haven't we haven't seen him in a match at all. Right. The gun club as a as a team, unless it's on black or something. Just in uh, just in that battle royal uh, for all out. I think it was in the pre-show. They were both in the ring together. So, like, if he's just getting trained up by all the guys in AEW and he's going to come out as a huge star off the, the gun name or the gun club becomes a tag team, sure. I mean, Billy Gunn can still go. We saw him in New Japan. I mean, he's not going to have the best match of the night or anything, but it's not like he's going to be terrible either. Um, and, yes, Billy Gunn is bigger than 90% of the people on their roster, which just points to how important it was to be big in WWE. <laughs> At that time period where he was a star. Well, even Road Dog is really fucking tall. I mean, like, look at Dean Ambrose when they put him next to, like, uh, God, why can't I think of his name right now? Brian he's Cage. feuding with him. When you put him next to Brian Cage, like, he is, he's not as big, wide as Brian Cage, but he's, like, the same fucking height and probably the same weight. That's just, uh, that's the size difference of what wrestling used to be versus now, kind of. It's crazy. All right. Well, anyways, um, we had Sammy Guevara going against Colt Cabana, and Colt's been on a losing streak, but, you know, we had that weird interaction with Colt uh, talking to Brody Lee. Uh, but anyways, Sammy, who fucking needed a win, uh, was had a good match with Colt Cabana, but, you know, hit the uh, GTH on Cabana for the pinfall. After the match, Dark Order, including returning Evil Uno and Stu Grayson, entered. 
Brody Lee offered a hand to Cabana and uh, helped him up. Then they left while Cabana looked confused. He left and Sammy Guevara picked up Mike and declared himself the best wrestler at AEW. <laughs> Matt Hardy came out and told Sammy that he should get away from Chris Jericho so he can live up to his potential. Sammy said that he'd never trust Hardy, who tried to kill him twice. Then Hardy turned into Damascus and threatened to delete Guevara, who ran away. Uh, after, we, we saw Cole Cabana entering Birdie Lee's office backstage. How do you like both of these angles? Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara, and then also Cole Cabana possibly joining the Dark Order. I like the weird Sammy Guevara, Matt Hardy storyline in general. Um, but I really do like what they're doing with Cole Cabana. I think that could be fun. It's something different. He can be he can be serious, he can be goofy, he can kind of play whatever you want. And uh, the only thing I would say about the at the exit angle of that was Dasha gave like a really weird question as they were running down a hallway. Um, and they didn't commentary and the, the interview question wasn't that great to set up him going into that room, in my opinion. Uh, but outside of that, I really liked the ending where Colt Cabana loses and it's like, oh shit, the Dark Order's coming. And it's all of them, and then Brody like walks out last, and then just kind of like makes a notion with his head and walks away. That was kind of cool. Like, I don't know. I mean, they're mid they're mid card faction at this point, right? So, uh, something interesting on the show. Sammy Guevara uh, might be one of my favorite wrestlers in the world right now. I fucking as Me far too. as not not necessarily in. I mean, he's great in ring too, but like the character of <laughs> the Spanish God is one of my favorite things to watch on TV each week. It's great. So him versus Matt Hardy will be probably pretty fucking awesome. So we had Joey Janela um, in the segment. Uh, it had him drinking at a bar while uh, talking uh, in voiceover about how directionless he feels. Uh, he doesn't know which way he's going uh, in AEW. He left the bar and happened to run into Sunny Kiss who gave him a ride in his convertible. So it looks like we're setting up another makeshift tag team, but I'm actually excited to see this because Joey's kind of sparingly on AEW, and we don't see a lot of Sonny Kiss, and JR was putting over Sonny Kiss. Um, apparently Sonny you know, has been working a lot with Dustin, uh, but also applied some, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, use some advice from from JR that she should watch or, or I should say I'm sorry he should watch uh, some old uh, Adrian Street videos and promos and the way that he would you know do stuff in matches because JR said that they reminded each other and um, I think that Sonny's a good wrestler I'd like to see her see him I keep on saying that um, see him more uh, in the ring and if it meets uh, a tag team with Joey Janela, I think that should be kind of fun and they could do some cool things. Uh, what do you think about all this? Love the vignettes, by the way. They always have excellent vignettes. Very cin cinematic. The vignette is absolutely great where Joey Janela is just stumbling around drunk and gets picked up by Sonny Kiss. She's like, what are you doing? He's like, just walking or <laughs> whatever he said. Uh, I love this. I would love that tag team. I think it's a, once again, this tag division just gets better and better. Uh, eventually Pentagon and Phoenix will be back in theory. 
And uh, man, what a fucking stacked tag team lineup. And this is kind of a cool side story that could be really interesting, even just through vignettes. And they're a weird mashup. Joey Janela is kind of a I I want to I I'm gonna say the term misfit, but I don't mean like misfits the band, like Jersey Street trash punk kind of guy. Obviously a little fucking out there. And then Sony Deville, which is that character, right? They like Adrian Street, like you said, or, or um, I mean, I would even say go back Gold, to like Goldust. George Goldust kind of character. Yeah. Um, that's a cool combination that we have not seen. And if we have seen it, it's been a very, very long time. So them as a tag team, hell yeah. Both of those athletes are fucking great. They can have good matches as we've seen. I, I wish they would have stuck with Dustin and, and Sony as a team a little longer and not just put that on dark because I think the one tag team match they put on the actual show with them was pretty fucking great from what I remember. But uh, I think it works out. I think I think these two together with these vignettes if booked properly, especially with this budding tag team division, which to me might overshadow the rest of the show very soon. <laughs> Without it could. Getting, it definitely could. Which might not be a bad thing because it's going to be different. Um, I mean, my, yeah, I love everything about this. It was great. And I want to see more of crazy Joey Janela and Sony riding around in that car. It And this is not a direct comparison, but it's the same kind of love that I had for like Pete Dunn and Matt Riddle being together. It's yeah. that odd mashup of those two together just traveling with each other that is intriguing. It's something different that we haven't seen. So uh, as a wrestling fan, I fucking love it. I, I, I can't wait for more of this shit, to be honest. And like I said, they're both great athletes, and I'm sure they can have some really good um, matches. Joey Janela gets shit on too much just because he worked in CZW, which is insane to me. Because if anything, what he's done in AEW thus far has shown that he's more than just like the guy that got Zandicked off the roof. Yeah, and Sunny Kiss... Joey Janela, they're awesome. I will say, uh, just because I did it twice, um, because I know that we are in a different time period and sometimes people can get um, offended easily that that uh, JR was actually talking on an after show and this is the same one I was talking about, putting over Sonny and how he likes her, her or him as a performer. Let me get through the whole conversation. And that he accidentally called Sonny a her on air and got a lot of flack behind it. And Sonny assured to him, and I don't think Jair would just make this up, that that he has given her a lot of that she goes by either her or him. It doesn't really doesn't doesn't matter or bother uh, him. And that JR has always helped her out with advice and has helped her out with her matches and it's always been extremely sweet to her. So there's no ill will or anything like that. So just I throw that out there if anyone got mad that I said she, um, Sunny is a entity. She, Sunny reminds me if you watch Bob's Burgers of uh, Marshmallow, which is one of my favorite characters on the show. So, um, I, I think you. I mean it's a it's a it's a weird time with pronouns in general, and uh, the fact that you're apologizing and trying to correct it and like being open about the conversation, I think means like goes a long way and should go a long way with other people because it's not like you're intentionally being an asshole or anything like that so i don't know people should chill out because pronouns are hard 
especially yeah. uh, on a three-hour fucking podcast. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of the night. Uh, one of my favorite segments. In the parking lot, John Moxley told Alex Marvez that he's in a bad mood, not just because his body hurts, but because Taz keeps on saying that Brian Cage is going to beat him up at Firefest. Moxley can't wait for Fighter Fest so that he can shut everyone up uh, by beating Cage. Well, Taz was actually in the parking lot in his trailer, and he heard this shit, and he showed up, got right in. And I love this because, yeah, Taz retired. Taz still has a lot of toughness to him. Taz gets right up in his fucking face and is basically, like, cursing him out. Taz, um, you know, distracting him from Brian Cage, who runs around the uh, limo and just attacks Moxley from behind. And at one point, Moxley was getting the better of Cage, and finally Cage... Uh, attacked him, and then powerbombed him into a windshield of a car. So I love the spot, classic wrestling. I think Taz is an awesome manager. I like that he was going face-to-face with Moxley, even if it was a distraction, because most managers are chicken shit. This is Taz. The, you know, Even though he's been retired for a while, he's, he's still a badass. And Brian just you know was sh- putting fucking uh, Moxley in his place. I'm going to be honest with you. I think they're going to pull a Bill Goldberg. And I think that Moxley is going to lose to Brian Cage. I think that he's going to go undefeated for a while with that championship and be a monster. I could see it happening, but I could be wrong. I don't know. They've built, they've beaten a lot of their big guys right off the bat. So, but uh, how'd you like this segment, Chris? I mean, I love the idea of Taz, like Taz is a manager in general. I just love, and they did the same kind of storyline with Samoa Joe and Impact, and it worked really, really well. And uh, him just coming out and being a real asshole. Like, I heard what you were saying in my trailer because it's a live show, right? In theory. Um, <laughs> like, him coming out or live to tape in this scenario or whatever they're doing. But uh, him coming out, I was like, hey, I can hear what you're saying <laughs> and really talking shit uh, to Moxley. And I love that he wouldn't let Brian Cage kill him. Yep. Because the original idea was like, I'm going to powerbomb this motherfucker on the asphalt. <laughs> to death (laughs) but you also see kind of the uncontrollable the uncontrollable monster that is brian cage because he still fucks up moxley right he just doesn't kill him (laughs) he puts him (laughs) through a windshield (laughs) as opposed as opposed to dropping him on his neck on the concrete which i would take the windshield personally (laughs) if it's me but true (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, I I liked that. I, I thought this was a really cool segment, and I kind of agree with you. But Brian Cage can easily be a top guy, especially with Taz as a mouthpiece, and it sets up perfectly for someone like Adam Page, a fan favorite, right? Who's also a hoss to have one of these kind of big matches that they haven't really had yet, in my opinion. We haven't had the... Uh, we haven't had the heavyweight clash match nope. in AEW. We've had some good heavyweight matches and solid quality matches, but we haven't had like the spectacle, which Brian Cage and Taz can be a spectacle, especially if you sprinkle in uh, someone like an, uh, an Adam Page, which I think is kind of the perfect opponent, a guy that just doesn't give a shit about his own health because he's drinking or whatever the hell's going on with him. Uh, right now and then that sets up things in the future i think that's probably where they're going and i agree with you like there's no reason why he shouldn't just be beating everyone like Wardlow, mjf like anyone you throw at him 
Uh, and also, like with like Taz, for instance, like if if you have MGF versus, I mean, that's the great thing about Taz, right? Like, can he still throw a belly to belly suplex? I'm sure he can. <laughs> so like, Wardlow's like on the fucking apron trying to interfere in an MJF match, and uh, Wardlow just gets fucking belly to belly, and the entire crowd's gonna lose their shit as soon as that happens. Yep. All right, so the end the of the night. The real question is, oh. I mean, I guess one, one, for, one question before we move on. So the real question here for me is, are they building him better right now than they've done Drew McIntyre? Because that's going to be the comparison, the yardstick right now. Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. And it's weird because they're both dealing with the same problem, and that's not a humongous audience to, to work off of, so we can't really get that reflection of seeing if they're getting over by the live crowd. It's interesting. All right, so the last thing for AW, we had Cody Rhodes with Arn Anderson going against Mark Quinn, um, putting up the TNT Championship like he's going to be doing every week. And uh, this is a good match. Um, Mark Quinn did have a bit of an ankle issue. It wasn't the ankle that Cody was working on, but the opposite one. And this motherfucker is doing uh, five or four fifties, not to the inside of the ring, but over onto the ramp itself. And uh, just, just crazy good with, with his speed, with his very unique look. And uh, it was a fun match. But Cody Rhodes inevitably won with an ankle lock. Um, and after the match, Jack, Jack Hager showed up, tacked Arn Anderson, and then Cody. Private Party came out, uh, or the rest of the Private Party came out with Matt Hardy and attacked Hager with chairs. Then Sammy Guevara, uh, Ortiz, and Santana came out and turned to a full-out brawl. Cody grabbed a mic and told Hager he can have the TNT Championship match at Fighter Fest. So we're going to have... Hager against Cody, TNT Championship, um, should be a barn burner. But, uh, yeah, I really like the match with Hager and and uh, Moxley not too long ago. So I think I'm going to like this match as well. I think that he's gotten – well, I mean, I've never – I just know that a lot of people said that he wasn't anything too special. But seeing the stuff that I saw in Lucha Underground and now even this – I think that he's evolved. He uses his MMA stuff and his obviously his size to be a, a good opponent because I think he was for Moxley. So I think this will be a good match against him and Cody. Uh, but Cody's going to get thrown around a lot until, but he'll he'll still win. He'll probably bleed, but he'll still fucking win. How'd you like this ending, Chris? Well, I mean, I would debate with those people whether Jack Hagar is like actually, or is Jack Swagger the character, um, was not that impressive or was booked really shitty? Because in AEW, he's been pretty good, in my opinion, as far as what they've asked him to do, and he's solid in ring. So I would want to know what they're talking about. Like, is he not that impressive as a character? Possibly, but it doesn't have to be. He's like a hitman for. Chris Jericho, right? So I think this is going to be a fun match. And uh, like, also, fuck AEW for telling us not that we're not getting a television title and then giving us a television title. Uh, <laughs> the match itself. It's basically the same thing. 
It's a tell. It just call. You call it the TNT title is just naming it after the channel you're on. It's a tele, It's a television title. Uh, the match itself, I thought was really, really good. I thought the ankle, like, I don't know, the ankle lock spot was weird for me. I think he should have just figured, like finished it with a figure four. I know that they're building towards the Hager match, but that was like a little too on the fucking nose, uh, like a a little too wink and nod towards the crowd of like hey this is happening next week especially it, it, when the guy who is also known for doing the ankle lock comes out next like right after the match so that was a little too like spot on for me yeah I could see that alright so also, and it- also rank isn't like this is the this is another thing and I could bury the entire show for this especially the random tag match we're getting next week but uh aren't wins and losses supposed to matter i was saying that man i i don't understand why you know dustin and qt marshall are getting a tag team championship um you know uh match uh are they qualified for second to go against kenny and fucking adam page i don't think so so why are they you know I, it doesn't make a lot of sense because, like, as far as wins and losses go, I would assume that above Hagar would be Darby Allen or Jericho, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's weird. I mean, I get why they're doing it. It's wrestling, right? So whatever. But, like, it seems like they're shifting away from the wins-loss thing, even though they're still trying to sprinkle it in because they did it during the women's uh, tag match. But they're definitely shifting it to their need of this television title. Because Jungle Boy, Jungle Boy's won some matches, but I don't know that he's won the most matches. I have to go back and w- look at their win loss records. Well, Jungle it, Boy at least he he won a battle royal to get a championship shot. That's true. I forgot about the battle royal thing. So at least his made sense. So you get what I'm getting at because like yeah. the last few Jake Hager matches I've seen, he lost, and none of them were singles matches. If anything, someone that would be in line for Cody's title would be. Once again, Jake the Snake's protege, because he's won probably MJF. the most matches, or MJF, who's undefeated. <laughs> I don't know, man. A lot of that—that's the one issue that I have as well. Let's move on to just NXT. either. Yeah, it's either about wins or losses, or it's not. Don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. I guess. <laughs> I agree. Keep that sports element. Um. All right, so Undisputed Era opened up the show to talk about Adam Cole's win at TakeOver in your house and his dominant NXT championship run. He promised to send Dexter Loomis back to the drawing board tonight. Uh, Roderick Strong was definitely distraught. Um, Apparently him and uh, Bobby Fish were thrown into that trunk and were in there for hours before someone found them. And he uh, kept on, quote-unquote, hallucinating Loomis at ringside. He kept on popping up basically in the audience. Uh, I, I, Chris, you're going to talk more about it, but I didn't even see the parallel that uh, Brian and Vinny went over. And that's pretty funny with the Ultimate Warrior and WCW. I will say at least the uh, both uh, the commentators uh, and Roderick saw them. And then every time that the other Indisputed Era looked, they, he would be out of uh, position, I guess. But um I, I do like the character, but that's a, a funny fucking concept. Anyways, backstage, uh, Undisputed Era ran into Keith Lee and M- Mia Yim, and Lee suggested he might become a 
double champion with the North American and the NXT. So we look like Keith Lee could be going for that belt soon. We got another person at the end of the night that seems to be going next. But uh, good stuff for our champion to try to get past. Um, How do you like this opening? And um, is is Loomis Ultimate Warrior? Is that what's going on? I mean, I listened to the rest of that podcast today, by the way, and the other comparison they made is they're making him wrestle like if Nails and Undertaker had a baby, which is true because they are booking him specifically in a square box of what he can do in the ring with that character, which is also kind of funny. But yes, he that this is very much just the Ultimate Warrior Hogan spot where everyone can see Ultimate Warrior, but he's not actually there. <laughs> so it's like are we crazy or is he crazy or is everyone else idiots? Like it's just a weird, I can get why people would have a promo with it, but whatever it's fucking wrestling. Uh, It's very, it let's say it's very early nineties or mid nineties, late eighties for uh, someone to see someone that's clearly there, but no one else is supposed to see him, but the crowd can see them. It's very WCW, (laughs) but uh, uh, yeah. Outside of that, I mean, I don't know. I thought he sold it well for what they asked him to do, so that's good. And uh, Adam Cole, baby, still champ. All right, so Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae went against North American champion Keith Lee and Mia Yim. Um, for, towards the end of the match, Lee got hit with the one final beat DDT, but landed on LeRae. While he was checking on her, Gargano rolled him up and pinned him. So, yeah, that's that's just, you know, we're, we're, we're basically what I'm going to ask you is this is obviously setting up another match with Johnny and Keith Lee. Are they going to have Johnny lose again to fucking Keith Lee for the North American Championship? I mean, I would assume so, but he just got his ass whipped by Mia Yim, so... I- <laughs> I don't know how you come back. I come back from that. Like, where, 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 like, as far as booking a guy into the ground, they kind of fuck this this whole run up. Like, I'm supposed to believe he's going to be able to beat Keith Lee after Mia Yim just whips his ass in the center of the ring. I don't know, man. I mean, basking Keith Lee's glory, he's a monster of a man just tossing Dijakovic around like he's a fucking softball. God, we need so, him and Walter. You guys can't match. But you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you, you've given me nothing to believe in Gargano having any shot at beating Keith Lee. I, I agree. Did, like, uh, later on, is it uh, later on? Cameron Grimes says that uh, he's playing house, which I fucking laughed at really, really hard with Keith Lee. <laughs> when Keith Lee's done playing house, that's a good promo. That was good, and that was actually next. He's interviewed about his match against Finn Balor later and said that he'd win. Unlike Damian Priest at TakeOver, he did mention uh, about Keith Lee. Um, Priest confronted him and forearmed him in the face about it. Grimes used this as an opportunity to say that he broke his jaw and wouldn't be able to compete, Um, but after a conversation where basically the ref ratted him out to William Regal, William Regal told him over Skype uh, that he caught him in a lie because he saw him in, you know, with the backstage talking to some females. Uh, it looked like his jaw was fine. So I thought thought the whole thing was pretty fucking funny. I like 
Cameron Grimes as a wrestler. Um, but, you know, he liked that win that he got because of Damian Priest's interference against Finn Balor that he doesn't want to go against him again and then lose to him, which inevitably happens. Uh, what do you think about this, Chris? I liked the promo. Damian Priest's part of it where, what did he say? He's like, no, you can continue. That was like, he shouldn't talk on the mic anymore. Um, <laughs> and then the, uh, like, as far as the aftermath of the broken jaw thing, like, is this the same doctor that diagnosed CM Punk? Like, oh, <laughs> it's oh, like oh. realizing wait, if he has some too soon. <laughs> we, we don't want to get sued. As long as we don't say we'll be fine. <laughs> yes. Well, I said a doctor. <laughs> Not the one that diagnosed him later and was like, you could have died. <laughs> um, but, like, it's pretty easy to tell if someone has a broken jaw or not. <laughs> so, like, when shit gets too dumb like that, with just you could have just said he had a concussion. Or he could have claimed to have had a concussion and not had a concussion. And you can't say, like, we don't want to talk about concussions because Kerry Zane gets one every week from Nia Jax. So, like, fuck off. Oh... Ah, that's funny. All right, so in this year, uh, defeated local talent. They look pretty dominant. And then we had that match with Finn Balor and Cameron Grimes. Uh, good match. You know, there's even times where I was like, wow, they're going to give another one to Cameron Grimes. But Finn Balor got the coup de gras, followed by the 1916. After the match, Finn spoke directly to the camera and said he wants Keith Lee's North American Championship. So it looks like that will be the next person to go for the North American championship. Everything, everyone wants a piece of Keith Lee, you know, bask in his glory, but that should be a fucking good match. Chris, what'd you think about it this? It should match be. I think this was the best match on the entire card. And, uh, Finn Balor's phenomenal. And I like the reverse was at the 19 is it 1916. Mm-hmm. I liked him hitting that. And when it didn't work, cause he'd never used it as a finisher. He was just like, I don't know. <laughs> he just like, he used his other shit one. That was pretty funny. Um, I want I, I do want Finn Balor to go back to being Goku though, where he just looks at video monitors and challenges people. Because that was my like favorite thing on NXT in the past year. <laughs> He's well, like that guy. He does that. But no, I I mean Keith Lee versus Finn Balor. I I is to me Finn Balor is the best wrestler on the NXT roster right now. That's probably going to hurt a lot of people's feelings. I think they just need to give him some more favorable matchups and some more meaningful storylines. Well, damn, you know, it sucks because I think that we and he probably would have helped them out so much. But obviously, because of COVID, you know, he was supposed to go over to the UK and feud with Walter and he was over there once. And then all of this stuff happened and eventually we'll get it. But I think that it was supposed to be him and Walter for the UK championship. And obviously, they have to work around it. But him against Keith Lee for this makes a lot of sense. The other person that makes a lot of sense is, I know everyone's after Adam Cole, Killer Cross, you know, Keith Lee. You got, I'm sure, even though he can't challenge him, Velveteen Dream still hates him. Uh, Loomis is going after the whole entire Undisputed Era. Uh, But Finn, if he keeps on winning, I mean, he... It's him and Adam Cole that have been the two most – they're like how Shayna and Asuka is. I think that Finn has the most wins uh, and Adam's had it the longest so or something like that. But 
I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with Finn. I want to see him against Walter. We're not going to be able to get that for a minute. Yeah. I mean, him versus Walter is the the dream match, right? Especially after seeing that Tyler Bates match, because Prince Devin versus Walter, I think, would be very similar and uh, probably a fucking great match. Him versus Keith Lee, I would equate to him wrestling a more athletic Brock Lesnar. So that match should be fucking incredible. Because Keith Lee is going to do more shit, but it's going to be like that Brock Lesnar match, which was fucking phenomenal for what Brock does and what him and Finn designed in the ring together. So, like, that plus Keith Lee's crazy shit that he does, uh, that should be a fucking banger. So I'm definitely looking forward to that in general. But I am sad about not getting Volter versus uh, Finn. All right, so I I like this, man, and I hope that they actually stick to it. Because it would be great to have these two guys by themselves. But, you know, if they're going to be together, I liked what Brazongo was saying. Basically, you know, they're going over their credentials. And uh, uh, Fandango said, you know, or, or Tyler about Fandango said he first match, IC championship, beats fucking Chris Jericho. He didn't see Chris Jericho, but that's what happened. Uh, and then, you know, Fandango was going over all the accolades uh, of Tyler about the matches that he had going against Jushin Liger and that they like making people laugh, and that's been their thing in the past. But even last week at the outfits that they had, they want to take the tag team championship uh, in NXT in a serious direction, and they have a match with Imperium. I I don't think they're going to beat them, but I like that they're addressing something that we've all had a problem with, is that even though they are great as a, 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 a comedic act, we love the whatever the fuck, the, the, the files, um, the Brazongo files or whatever it was called, um, that having them as a serious tag team would be good. They're both great competitors. They both produce great matches, and they're more than just shtick. So I like this uh, promo. How'd you like it, Chris? I mean, longtime listeners of the show know my love for Fandango and how he's been fucked by this company for so long. Um, he's like, I like this. I like the more serious approach, and maybe they're going to give it a go. Maybe come out in normal ass wrestling gear and have a match. And uh, I hope it leads to the inevitable breakup where Fandango drops the name Fandango, which is the only thing holding him back because they saddled him with a shitty gimmick. He's got the look. He's great in the fucking ring. Um, I was listening to some other podcasts earlier. You know this guy's been wrestling since 1999? Wow. So he's kind of a veteran, <laughs> if you think about <laughs> some of the other guys that are there. Um, I, He's fucking great. He comes off as a complete sleazebag. There's no way you can't... Like, if you drop the name, he turns on... Bert, or Tyler Breeze, right? You drop the name. There's no reason why you can't turn him into like a sleaze bag heel like MJF. I would even say, like, you know, he could, I think he could pull off similar to is um, the model Rick Martel. That's a great comparison. He definitely could do that. I, I just get frustrated whenever I talk about Fandango because, like, that's a huge miss. Like, why would Jericho even give him a win if you guys weren't going to do anything with him? Honestly, I've heard Chris Jericho say that exact same fucking thing. Uh, All right. Well, 
footage aired uh, of an interviewer trying to get word from Chapo about his Chapa about his loss to Carrying uh, Cross at Takeover, and Tomas Champa just gave like an eat shit look to the interviewer and got in his car and fucking left. So he's obviously not happy. I would say, Chris. Yeah, he seemed pretty pissed. That kind of sums up the whole segment. <laughs> yep. Wondering what's next for Champa. Maybe maybe a viper comes and attacks him or something. Who knows? Or maybe uh, he goes. Or maybe he goes to Maine and attacks a viper. Yeah, that could be it too. I'd love that. Maybe at this pay per view to interrupt this match that is not going to be the greatest match of all time. <laughs> really, really shits in those Cheerios. Uh, all right, so uh, I love this part too. So <laughs> Rhea Ripley was getting interviewed. Uh, Robert uh, Strong tried to get Rhea to join his brand. Uh, he was very, very like all over the place. And in response, she punched him in the stomach and slammed him into garbage. So I guess that means that Rhea Ripley will not be joining the Robert Stone brand. But I love <laughs> seeing Robert E. act all fucking crazy and not know what to do because Chelsea Green dumped him. Aaliyah has been losing and uh, everyone else keeps on telling him to fuck off, basically. Someone pointed out um, that Robbie E.'s current gimmick is what Chelsea Green was doing in Impact after she got broken up with. <laughs> Which is pretty funny, but he was fucking great. He's been great the past two weeks. Uh, Robbie E's always kind of been great. They just kind of shoveled him in that this is your Jersey Shore gimmick and you're on Impact and you're in the X Division and kind of a mid card guy. But I mean, I would love, I would love for him to actually manage someone. It's really great. Uh, Maybe a, a Cansanzaro that we're going to talk about a little later or something, but someone's going to, someone's going to bite eventually. And he's been, uh, his promos have been really, really fun. This is one of my favorite segments of the entire show, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he'll manage EO as a mouthpiece, oh. which would be great. Like instead of going to the people that aren't the champion, maybe he goes to the champion. He's like, I can translate for you. And it turns out he speaks like fluent Japanese or something, which would be a lot of work on his part, but <laughs> would also be fucking great. Well, speaking about the match, you were just saying uh, Dakota Kai went against uh, Casey Canazaro and uh, they had a good match, but I mean, it really became more of a squash match. Um, I mean, Raquel was getting involved and Dakota Kai is by the way, Dakota Kai fucking awesome entering wrestler. She would win with the GTK. After the match, Kai and Raquel Gonzalez attacked Conazaro. Caden Carter tried to make the save, but was also beaten down. So it looks like it's setting up a tag match between the two of them and the two of them um, in a uh, another scene that happened later on when Dakota Kai was talking shit. So I like Casey. I think that she's very... She kind of gets her ass kicked every single time, but she's very unique. Obviously, she's known for winning the American Ninja Warrior. She almost quit. They just, they convinced her to stick around, but she has like this. I'm not going to say Rey Mysterio, but like this 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 style of being a high flying underdog that's uh, very appealing. Also, love Caden Carter. So, if the ladies can get a, a good tag match out of this to get the, them all over, if you will. 
then good. But uh, like I said, man, Dakota Kai, she keeps in, in matches, she keeps on impressing me more and more. Especially, she's got, I know that the Haluva kick was done, I'm pretty sure, first by Sammy, but the way that she does it looks fucking devastating when she uh, connects. Uh, how'd you like this match, Chris? I thought the match was pretty good. Um, it's really funny that you compared her to Rey Mysterio Jr. Because Brian Alvarez did the same thing uh, <laughs> recently. The 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 uh, his comparison he was basically like, yeah, he's a pretty smart guy. Um, but no, what he was saying is like you need a small underdog because like little kids that watch it, they see people as the same size. So, like, as a kid growing up, you see someone like Shawn Michaels fighting, like, The Undertaker. Like, you want to cheer for that guy. Or, like, Rey Mysterio versus Andre the Giant. Basically, he synopsed it with, like, it's a mental thing. And that's a great person to do it because she's very athletic. And not the best in the ring, but very athletic. And you could probably get her there. Uh, which I, I agree with. I mean, I think it's a great comparison. Um, but, yeah, I just thought I would bring that up because you because you said it the match itself was good hopefully they're building more female tag teams because i don't know how many more times i can see the fucking iconics i don't know i have no idea we had a promo with uh timothy thatcher uh teaching people at his gym i don't know if this is true or this is just a bullshit for the segment but his whole concept said that he will wrestle his style and show his style now he was referring to his uh, his students, but he said next week. So I think he was actually referring to the wrestling in the ring uh, next week. But decent promo, right? I thought it was a pretty good promo. I don't think they capitalized enough on the fact that Matt Riddle is no longer going to be on their TV product. Yeah. After Thatcher beat him. Um, but if they're going to go with a student concept and they're not going to do this, but it would be really awesome if they did. You remember when Taz had his wrestling school and he had the disciples in ECW. Mm -hmm. That would be great. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Oh, all right. You make, you, you make, you make these nerds stand at ringside while you whip a guy's ass and like, they don't interfere. They just watch. That would be a great gimmick. We haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the next scenario kind of involves a possibility like that, I guess, for uh, Seth Rollins uh, with Austin and um, Buddy. Um, but I really love the segment. So El Hilo del Fantasma came to the ring, uh, was interrupted by Drake Maverick. Maverick uh, congratulated Fantasma and told him that after that whole tournament, he thinks that he can beat him this time. We had the two mysterious luchadors, kidnappers, come to ringside. And uh, basically, they were staring down Drake and Phantasma. Then Phantasma came out behind Drake, attacked him. Two luchadors came in the ring, started beating the shit out of them. And they removed their mask to show them off as Ronald Mendoza. And uh, it's DJZ, but I forgot what his, his uh, stupid fucking name is in um nxt is uh joaquin wild who were kidnapped by the luchadors um and then after they beat him down phantasma phantasma took off his mask 
what she's done. Like people are saying, this is disrespectful towards the lineage. He's already fucking done this in Impact. Actually try to figure out stuff by researching before you get offended. So he is not going to go by uh, Fantasma anymore. He is now Santos Escobar. So I get where the Escobar comes from. It's so it's a little bit too on your nose. It, it really is. That's that's my biggest problem. Well, I mean, it's so wrestling name. It's a great wrestling name, but he's not Colombian. He's a Mexican luchador. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are I mean, there, there's still Mexican cartels, and I'm sure the name still translated to Mexico, though, you know. I mean, I guess, but like Escobar is very specific. Yeah, they're, they're obviously going for Pablo Escobar. I mean, that's definitely. But I will say that I think it was Brian was was not having a. He was like freaking out about this. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, how how could they kidnap if all three of them are in it from the beginning? There's always been two guys kidnapping one person. So that's how they did it. I mean, that's every single time. It was always two luchadors. Jumping out and grabbing someone. So if there's three of them with Joaquin Wild and Raul Mendoza. I mean, it was obviously Joaquin and uh, Escobar. They took him and then the, they they switched off. And then every other thing was where they were trying, quote unquote, to take out El Fantasma and beating up people like, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, God dang it. Uh, Japanese wrestler who's a badass. Um, Kishida? Here, no, Akira Tozawa, and I think also happened to Kushida as well. Um, he was there. They were there. So they've, they've been on this. I like this, and I actually I want to say that um, I didn't know it was going to be Raul, Raul Mendoza and fucking Joaquin Wilde, but I called this. I thought that Drake was going to get attacked, and they were going to be in on it to begin with, um, and it was all just a ploy. And I didn't think he was going to become a new character and take off his mask, and I definitely didn't. They got me with who they were, but I like all this other than his name. I think his name is a little bit too on the nose. Well, the it's weird when you get to the kidnapping the first guy. It's almost like there has to be a fourth person mathematically. So I can see why people would have a hang up on that if you think too seriously about it. But there's nothing wrong with there being a fourth guy. Like, who knows? There could be a fourth guy, right? Which would be great. Like, that could be a cool surprise. Um, but yeah, like, um, oh, let's see. I, me and you both said this was probably going to happen. I just thought they should have done it at the pay-per-view to screw Drake Mac- Maverick over and make him seem more like a sympathetic baby face who didn't just lose clean, but lost because he got screwed over. Right. Yeah. So I, my, my, I guess my only problem with this is I would have just done it like at in your house and that's how he lost as opposed to he lost clean and now this guy has a heel group <laughs> which oh i like it, i get it it's like backward ass it's backwards ass booking once again because it would it, it like if you have a baby face that's skyrocketing and when i did the predictions i think i even like kind of teased that of like it would make sense if Phantasma is actually behind all of it. I didn't say he necessarily had to reveal his. I didn't think he was gonna like pull the mask off. Um, but I thought that maybe he was behind the entire thing, and that's how they screw over Drake Maverick and he gets the title or whatever. And then that makes Drake Maverick your ultimate babyface because he just got fucked over 
by these kidnappers. And then you put him like, you know, you do tag matches with uh, Jake Atlas or Kushida or whatever. And maybe even one of them turns, right? Kind of thing. But uh, they didn't go that route. They just like did the match. He lost clean. He asked for a rematch and then got fucked up by a hill group for no reason, which doesn't make any sense because the guy already beat you clean. So he knows that he's better than you, at least at this point in the lineage. So just kind of that part to me bothered me more than the actual like how many luchadors are there. <laughs> because how I didn't many luchadors? I mean, does that make sense or do yeah. I sound like yeah, no. So. no, that makes sense. I get it. I still like I, I, I think that you're right of what they should have done, but I still like them doing this. I think it's very different. Um, so, yeah, I it's cool. I feel like that there is a fourth Luchador, whoever is going to help out, which may be Jake Atlas. Whoever's going to help him out is going to be the fourth person of this group, um, which would be smart if, that, if that's the way they go. Unless they maybe hear this and they're like, Fuck maybe it's Triple H. <laughs> maybe it's, it's Mystico. That would be Mystico. awesome. Mystico, Sin Cara is coming back. <laughs> the lights are going to turn blue. So we get to watch that shit on NXT. That'd be dope. Oh Lord! It's actually it's actually Conan. <laughs> it's actually Disco Inferno. Never mind. All right, so NXT Championship, Adam Cole goes against Dexter Loomis. I mean, all right. So this was a match where Dexter. I like a lot of the stuff that Dexter does in the ring. I I, I know it's very Undertaker, Kane, uh, some of the in betweens of, of of Jake Roberts and stuff like that. But I think. I like his style. I like where he like all of a sudden just jolts up and grabs someone and puts them in the uh, the submission that he has. But basically, uh, Undisputed interfered, allowing Cole to get the last shot after the match. Undisputed era attacked Loomis until you know uh, Velveteen Dream. Like I said, they are the Dream and Creep connection. Uh, but Velveteen Dream made a save, and everyone was out of the ring. Adam Cole was left by himself. And we all of a sudden have uh, Scarlett Bardot come out with an hourglass, looking like Khaleesi from the end of fucking Game of Thrones, uh, and puts the hourglass in the ring, tips it over to the other side to send a message to Cole that TikTok, TikTok, Karrion Cross is coming for you. Love this fucking ending, man. I thought it was awesome. Um, but yeah, I like the I match. Love the, I, it was I love fun. Um uh, I, I liked all the, the, the craziness with Dream and Loomis. I would love them to get to it to become a tag team and actually try to go for the belts, maybe. Whatever. I mean, what the fuck else are they doing with Velvet Dream right now? But uh, I loved Scarlett bringing out the uh, hourglass. What did you think about the ending and the main event and then what preceded it, Chris? Well, I mean, my first complaint is sand doesn't make a TikTok sound. Oh, my God. No, I'm just kidding. I like the ending a lot. I got what they were going for. I thought the ending of the show was really great. Set up a big match in the future. Um, Velveteen Dream got beat. So he got beat with an assist where a guy took two other people and threw them in a trunk and kidnapped them for a while. So that part is hazy i guess i mean it's it's understandable that he would come out to help um 
I like Adam Cole being a cocky asshole and not really giving a fuck about the rest of his team who are getting their ass kicked uh, so that he gets choked out and then then you get the Scarlet Bedro thing. But it's uh yeah. I I, I don't know. Killer Cross uh, and Scarlet Bedro. Bardo. Bardo. Sorry, French. You're good. Bardo. Uh-huh. Um can they have to exist together forever now, right? Like Undertaker and Paul Bear for like ten years. Basically, I I, I kind of make it like it reminds me almost of Macho King, Sensational Sherry type of relationship almost, or Marlena and Goldust, I guess. Because she is doing much of like most of the entertainment part of the wrestling. And he's an yeah. absolute monster and it's great, but she is like kind of the gimmick. So So this is the- kind of like, even though obviously Adam Cole's had the title a lot longer than Moxley, but we said Brian Cage could beat Moxley. Do you think that Killer Cross first encounter gets that belt and beats Adam Cole after he's had it for over a year? I mean, I think if you look across the lake at your competition, that's what you got to do. Especially because he's had it for a year, so it's not going to hurt Adam Cole, and also I'm sure they want to move him to Maine. We talked about that last week. It's like, if he doesn't get moved to Maine, I don't know what the fuck happens to him, because his contract is up soon, and he has not resigned yet, so that's the uh, I mean, it's, interesting part. I mean, if they're going to sign him for the same... I mean, the thing is, when you're, when you're in NXT now, they have a TV deal. So they should yep. be paying you the same amount as the main roster. Yep. Right? <laughs> so so he can pull his dick out and be like, pay me this or I'm just going to leave, which I would probably do if I was him. Or if you work at any company and this situation occurs, right? If you're the top guy, you should get paid like a top guy, regardless of what brand, in quotations, you're on for the giant machine that is WWE. But uh, all that being said, I, if I was him, I would just debate to stay there, and maybe he wins. I don't know. You could make him a Nokata. You could make that title super prestigious and never have him lose the fucking thing. I don't think they'll do that, but they could. But if he I mean, leaves, <laughs> uh, take my scenario from earlier. Maybe, all right, uh, what, what the hell is it? All outs in September. They have that Young Bucks fucking... FTR match, and you know I was talking about another person, say MJF. What about the end? Adam Cole comes out, and it's a fucking group with Cody, Adam Cole, and you know, fuck the revival with uh, both Tully and fucking Arn as their you know dudes. I mean, shit would be crazy. Adam Cole would be the best promo aside from well, I'm not 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 including some of the managers because Jake and fucking Arn can cut a promo, but like. <laughs> You would be up there with Cody and fucking MJF. Easily. Yes, I could see that. Also, Jake and Arn can cut a promo unless you give them a time limitation in which Arn has to be like, yo, wrap it up, B. <laughs> hey, Jake, why don't you wrap it up? All right, so uh, let's go over the ratings. Both of them were down, neck and neck. AEW, a uh, total of uh, 677,000 viewers. Down 53,000 from the last week and 18 to 40 uh, key demographic. Uh, they continue to slide down 
to a 0.23 from last week's 0.29 and then 0.32 two weeks ago. Uh, and NXT had 673,000 viewers down from 715,000 last week, uh, putting the two shows within 4,000 viewers of each other. NXT's 18 to 49 demo number was a 0.19 down 0.1 from last week and equal to two weeks ago. What do you got to say about that? Um, I don't know, man. The ratings are so weird. <laughs> simply, simply because, like I said, I think people just watch NXT after the fact. Well, not only that, we're going through a fucking pandemic, and as Dave said, everyone's down. Ross, everyone's. It's. It's all. I mean, I think if you realistically looked at these numbers, NXT may already be beating AEW. It's just <laughs> WWE fans aren't going to go out of the way to watch something that's going to show up on the network while there's something they can't see. If you're like a diehard wrestling fan, unless you just are like very brand specific about your wrestling. I don't know. The, the ratings thing to me is so weird. In fact, it, it still gets talked about unless it's a TV contract thing like Raw and SmackDown where that shit actually matters. <laughs> Like big deals, like the Fox deal is huge. They were expecting like 3 million viewers and they're not there at all, not even close. But, uh, I, I, man, I don't know. It's, I agree. It's, with fuck, you. It's, it's fucking weird to talk about at this point. And it's not going to matter in four years, anyways, because like cable in general has already changed so massively. Uh, I think the only thing that matters is live sports, which is an advantage for WWE until AEW starts doing live shows again. Yep. <sighs> but what are you going to do? Still, best shit on fucking television. You have usually consistently for me my number one, NXT my number two, every fucking week and between the four shows. And now... I've been watching a little bit of Impact. I'm going to watch Slammiversary. Very much looking forward to that. And MLW starts back up this weekend. So, you know, I don't know. I <laughs> the like least viewed, don't compare. And also New Japan's coming out soon. So the least viewed compared to the uh, Raw and SmackDown, to me, doesn't even compare. But whatever. Have, have they announced the Slammiversary card? No, but I know the championship match is Tessa... It's um, Ace Austin. Uh, who else is in it? It's uh, Eddie Edwards, uh, Michael Elgin, and I'm forgetting the one last person. I think it's Trey uh, for the title. And I think they're taking it off of Tessa. Probably due to this, her not being, or her opting out. I don't know. I could just see them doing that shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, for their company, it would make sense, right? Like, they had the big win for her. She's got to fight. I mean, if she's going to show up to work, it's very different because that's a huge victory if she beats five other male athletes in a six-way or whatever to win <laughs> to retain the title. But uh, if she's not going to show up, then that's a, that's a problem in itself. So, I don't know. Eddie Edwards would be my choice on that Slumberversary thing. Uh, that... It's who I deal with. 
I was a uh, funny enough. I'm wearing a 2013 Slammiversary shirt right now, and I don't even remember what the fuck was on that card. It just came out of one of those Don West grab bags they did. Yeah, <laughs> where you get five shirts for like twenty dollars. <laughs> they did that a while back, by the way. Let's see. Let's see if there's a card. I'm I'm, I'm curious about this now. Anniversary uh, 2020 card. This is so fun. Oh, While you're doing oh. that, I'll find whatever the 2013 uh, Slammiversary card looked like, which I'm assuming is not very good. Probably has a lot of Bully Ray on it. Probably. He liked to put himself in the spotlight a lot. Uh, it's not his fault. They, they just, I don't know. Let's see. 2013. We'll both hit cards at the same time. See what happens. All right. I'm uh, not finding it. All right, I got mine up. So 2013, this is a good match right off the bat. We get Chris Sabian versus Kenny King versus Suicide, an ultimate X match for the TNA X Division Championship. I'm sure that is very good. The next match is a, a, a aces and eights. So Bischoff, Garrett Bischoff, Mr. Eric Bischoff's son, Mr. Anderson, and Wes Briscoe. Terrible. I feel bad for Mr. Anderson. Got their ass kicked by Jeff Hardy, Magnus, and Samoa Joe. People that know Magnus should know that he is former. Is it former NWA champion or current NWA champion? I can't think of his actual gimmick name right now. Oh, uh, Nick Aldis. He's current. Yeah, Nick Aldis, current champion in NWA. Jay Bradley versus Sam Shaw. I have no fucking idea who they are, but it was a gut Sam check. Shaw. Sam Shaw is um, Dexter Loomis. Okay, well that makes sense. Well, he lost <laughs> to Jay Bradley, so I don't know what Jay Bradley's doing with his career. Who's Jay Bradley? uh yeah okay yeah jay bradley is no longer doing things um let's see devon as in devon dudley uh one what other devon would there be chris he he he, uh well it's weird because they dropped his last name he beat joseph park aka abyss which is lawyer abyss his brother looking for his brother and then abyss he did this by the way beat Devon in the following match. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> for the TNA Television Championship. Gunner and James Storm, what a hell of a team, defeated Austin Aries, Bobby Roode, and Bad Influence, which is Christopher Daniels and Kazarian. Also, Chavo and Hernandez. I'm sure that is a really good match. It actually has the longest running time of the entire pay-per-view, so that would be the one I would check out on this one. Uh, Gil Kim and Taryn Terrell. Uh, Taryn Terrell won. Um, ODB was a special guest referee, which is weird. Kurt Angle defeated AJ Styles in a singles match that went 15 minutes. I'm sure that's pretty fucking good. And Bully Ray beat Sting in a last chance, no holds barred match for the TNA Heavyweight World Champion, which I'm sure had a bunch of fucking TNA kind of bullshit. I'm not looking at the results. I'm just looking at what the card was. But this is aces and eights, so I'm assuming Sting got fucked over pretty hard in that match. Well, that's a, <laughs> one hell of a breakdown. Uh, so, yeah, I was right, though. The only match, this is going to be on July 18th, Slam Anniversary, but the only match that has been announced is the championship with the return of the champion, Tessa Blanchard, going against Michael Elgin, Eddie Edwards, Ace Austin, and Trey. And I like your idea of Eddie Edwards. They seem to be very high on Ace Austin. He's fucking incredible in the ring. Uh, first seen, in, for me, in MLW, then AAA, and now he's been building himself on impact. Michael Elgin's another guy, though, that he has almost gotten the belt, 
Brian Cage, and he just never wins. So I don't know. Maybe maybe Tessa will 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 uh, have it again, but should be a good match. And I like that MLW starting up again. Like I said uh, tonight, tonight, today, Saturday. I completely forgot. So there'll be a new episode on YouTube today. Oh, is awesome. Filthy Tom wrestling tonight. Uh, that's a good question. He had an interview. I, I'm he, he's probably interviewing someone. He's a bad guy now, which is awesome. Because I don't know why he tried being a babyface, but <laughs> just he's he's dislikable. I mean, he's he's a he's a, he's a great with promos. He's hilarious. All right, so let's do. Do you want to go over SmackDown so we can get the fuck well, out of here? Let's let's go over the first segment of SmackDown and then forget about the rest of the show. I'm not forgetting about uh, Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles for the Intercontinental Title match. That match was awesome. Yeah, that was a good match. I'm still mad though. So let's get into it. <laughs> you, you seem like you're pissed off. Better be pissed off than to be pissed on, Chris. Uh, yeah. That's uh, true. Oh, God. The show started with a contract signed between Sheamus and Jeff Hardy. Sheamus was accompanied uh, to the ring by a doctor and a bunch of security guards carrying a black private screen. Uh, Jeff Hardy came out by himself, was like, what the fuck's all this? Sheamus insisted that Hardy take a urine test to prove he's done on drugs. He mentioned alcohol and pills, just to throw that extra fucking jab in there. Hardy spoke emotionally about struggling with his addiction and agreed to the test. Uh, with the doctor supervising, Jeff went behind the screen and filled the cup with urine. Seamus continued belittling Hardy and his family. While the doctor took the sample of the test, and then Jeff grabbed it and said exactly what I said. It's better to be pissed off than to be pissed on. And threw it in Seamus' face, uh, who instantly started you know, uh, gagging and taking off his shirt. And uh, after the commercial, he was washing his face when the doctor came and told him that Jeff Hardy had passed the test. So we're going to be seeing that this Sunday. I hated this. Uh, the only the only bright spot is that Jeff threw his piss on Sheamus. And, but the whole concept itself, going more in-depth into this guy's actual life problems, I really hope that Jeff isn't going to fucking stay when it comes to resigning. Because, I mean, you, he has to be cool with this to an extent. But we've heard we've heard the revival. I mean, FTR, we've heard many wrestlers, you know, Brody Lee afterwards say that, yeah, they did it, but it's not like they really had a choice. And even though Jeff has a lot of credential, a lot of creds in WWE, seems like they still have no fucking problem burying him on the way out. And that's exactly what this seems. And I'm not going to blame fucking Sheamus. He's just a part of a goddamn scenario. Sheamus really reminds me a lot. Probably because they're not the uh, most graceful wrestlers. They just, they're really stiff and they're good at being a complete fucking asshole. But he reminds me a lot of JBL and always has. Um, but yeah, it's not his thing. The, the writing behind this is just gross. And Bruce Pritchard, Vince, the, the writers that came up with this, just shame on you guys. Chris, what do you think? I mean, anyone who has someone that's a friend or a family member that's dealt with addiction should have just turned their fucking shit off, which is basically what I did. And then when you said the AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan match was good, I went back and watched that after. So I missed the majority of this show. As I told you, I kind of glazed over the results. Um, This is fucked up. And then they made it a joke by having Jeff Hardy fill up an entire jar of piss off one urine sample to smash a guy in the head with. 
which is very fucking anti. That's the attitude error shit that people say they want. And I'm always like, I don't think you actually want what you're asking for. No. <laughs> because this is the kind of shit that comes out of that. It's bad. It's Vince Russo bullshit. It's, it fucking sucked. And if you're going to bury the guy, just like, I don't know, why bring up his personal history? And why Jeff would, like, you know what? He could just fucking go home like Sasha Banks did. Which is what I would do. <laughs> and I appreciate that other wrestlers are standing up for him. It's like, that's a thing you could do, but that's really shitty. Like, why would you do that? But he's taking his lumps, much like Dean Ambrose. Bullshit gimmick. They're going to do this match. He's going to lose to Sheamus. Or whatever. Like... But this doesn't get Seamus over either because the last memory you're going to have of Jeff Hardy is him getting beat by this guy bringing up his drug addiction, which is not yeah. going to put him over as heel heat. It's going to put him over as like, this is an asshole in a storyline bringing up some personal shit about someone. Like, this is like DDP when he kidnapped Undertaker's wife. Like, there's certain things that are just death to a character. So they're indirectly fucking Seamus, whether they know it or not. Like, you can't rehab that guy after that. I mean, yeah. Jeff Hardy is is to the point with the crowd that, I mean, he's Jeff fucking Hardy. He should be treated as a, a legend the same way as, like, Edge or anyone else that they treat as a legend. But instead, they're having him doing a fucking piss test in the middle of the ring. Like, fuck this show. It left such a bad taste in my mouth. I literally turned it off until you said this is a really good match, and I realized that AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan were wrestling. Yeah, I'll agree. I, I wasn't happy about the next part either. And, you know, I'll kind of just stroll through all this stuff. If you want to respond since you didn't watch it, you're obviously more than welcome to. And then we'll talk about the IC match, which is next. But so Biggie and Kofi, I definitely recommend um, going and watching uh, their podcast. They did with Xavier Woods and a friend of theirs talking about the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And just how they felt about this and got very emotional. And it's it's an hour long, but Biggie and Xavier both had me crying at different parts in it. And, uh, you know, uh, they came out to the ring. They both kneeled and they both put their fists up in the air. Uh, Kofi and, and Biggie, that is. And they had a match against Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro. And, I, you know, you, you would think that I would, would not complain about a win uh, for Shinsuke. But, you know, after that, it's like really... You know, they come out, they, 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 they do their they do their thing, they pay respects towards the movement itself, and then they lose. Uh, Shinsuke countered Kofi's frog splash and rolled him up for a win, and that was it. <laughs> Fucking stupid. Yeah, it's a match that no one gives a shit about against a team that's not actually a fucking team, and they decided to do this. That would be my well, response to that. Well, not only that, they beat the champions, so now they get a chance to have an actual championship match against them. I mean, if I'm like Nakamura or Cesaro and they tell me the finish on this, I'm like, nah. <laughs> like, nope. Let's do a DQ or something else. Like, fucking... <laughs> I, I, I make Kofi look like a chump. The, I'm not going to even go there. The All right, so former backstage. world champion of your company. Yeah. Yep. Especially after all that. So backstage, Otis uh, was blindfolded so that Tucky could test his other senses in advance of the six-man tag team match. Later on tonight, uh, Braun Strowman against the Miz, Morrison, Dolph Ziggler. Mandy Rose came by, gave Otis a kiss. Um, and both Otis... 
or both Mandy and uh, Tucker made Otis remember the fact that he should definitely bring the Money in the Bank briefcase. Uh, you know, s- setting this whole thing up that him and Braun are cool, but, you know, that shit could happen. Let's get to the fucking big thing. We had the IC Tournament Finals. AJ Styles going against Daniel Bryan. I like the way that they worked this out. Other than the Jeff Hardy bullshit, the fact that Elias was gone, and the fact that... Um, uh, Jeff Hardy was taken out of the whole entire thing. The different approaches in philosophy between AJ and Daniel Bryan, where AJ's like, fuck this, I'm taking a bye. I'm not fucking going against someone else. And Daniel Bryan's gracious enough to allow the other competitors to have a battle royal to go against him to see who advances. And, you know, they kind of brought this up again where AJ's like, you, you don't mind giving handouts out. You're going to fucking defend this every week. I'm going to defend this sparingly to the person that's the best that deserves to go against me. Um, and they just kind of built it in two weeks really well. And uh, it was an awesome match, man. I mean, I love the ending was probably one of the I mean, they beat the living fuck out of each other. They did every move both of them have. Uh, they're they're both hard hitting. One of my favorite parts was Daniel Bryan doing his thing where he run towards the corner, does a backflip, but AJ did a backflip as well over him into the Scorpion Death Drop like he does. That was fucking awesome. They, they just worked so well. They're the two. It's like how you had Charlotte and Oscar in a match. These are two of your best in ring performers, if not your two best in ring performers. Of course, they're gonna have a fucking awesome match. The ending happened where. And I loved also that they were really working on body parts, you know, that 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 was something that they they made sure to go to. Like, you know, Daniel Bryan first went after the knee and the leg of AJ, then worked on his arm for a majority of the match, um, making it, you know, hard for AJ to be able to springboard and also be able to lift Daniel Bryan if he had to. And then, you know, AJ was going after Daniel Bryan's leg, so he couldn't run and have that speed like he normally has. And Told a great story. Like I said, at the end of it, we had a, um, what was it, Daniel Bryan. He finally got him in the corner. He was about to do his kick. Uh, he went to do the kick. AJ grabbed him, put him in an AJ or in a Styles Clash, and then slowly got himself and was able to do the phenomenal forearm for the win, winning the IC belt for the first time. And I think that we're going to have a bunch of great matches. I love AJ Styles, man. His mean streak. I think I've said this before, but his mean streak that he has, that he applies, and just his cockiness reminds me a lot of Savage. I know it's one of his favorites. He's, but I mean, he's a fucking monster in every other sense of the word. And Daniel Bryan, just super baby face, is my favorite way. Even though he's good as a heel, um, it's a good match, man. They they gave him like thirty minutes too, which I was very surprised. Uh, how'd you like this match for the IC belt? I think they definitely brought up. Just with the packages brought up the wealth of the title. Best thing SmackDown's produced in like a year and a half. Easily. Easily. It was a great match. It's phenomenal. It was worth the watch. Too bad the rest of the show fucking sucked. Um, I will say my favorite spot in the match is when Daniel Bryan, I, I don't know what to call it. Is it the rocket kick that he does in the corner? When AJ catches his leg and then they just immediately go into the Styles Clash, that was a great fucking counter. And the fact that AJ didn't go for the pin, he knew that he knew he needed just a little bit more, kind of gives him that prize fighter Kevin Owens gimmick kind of feel. 
Like, that's not enough to take this guy down, so I'm going to go ahead and set up the next move, which I like, especially because the character is, I'm only going to fight the best, and I'm going to win, which I like. And it was fun to see AJ Styles get the, was the only championship he hasn't won at this point outside of the tag belts? Yeah. So if he gets tag belts on either side, he's a grand slam. But uh, it, it was a great match between two great performers, AJ Styles and, and Daniel Bryan, probably the two best. Oh, man. I, I would say if you're doing a top five, AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, uh, Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, and probably Buddy Murphy, honestly, as far as the best in-ring performers that they have right now on their main roster. I think I think I might put Kofi over Buddy Murphy, but he's not singles anymore. So, yeah, Buddy Murphy's fucking phenomenal, though. Ray? Or is he too old? It's not that like he's too old. It's just, like, they're not going to let him have those matches. I think yeah. they, I mean, as we've seen in Lucha Underground, or it's uh, Johnny man. Once again, yeah. It, well, I, I don't know. I, I still lean towards my choices, but those are great. Those are also great picks that you can rotate in depending on what you like in the ring, I guess. Yep. Um, I'll kind of just breeze through most of the rest of this, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up with our uh, predictions. All right, so after the match, Renee Young asked AJ about winning the IC title for the first time, and AJ was like, yeah, that's because I'm phenomenal. So that was his answer. And that's AJ Styles, man. <laughs> Fucking Gainesville, Georgia. Gainesville, Georgia. Uh, what? Bronx, what was that? No, you're good. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Braun Strowman said that the Miz and the Morrison will get these hands tonight. But he'll also go after Otis and Tucker if they try anything funny involving the Money in the Bank briefcase. Um, the rings were filled with a bunch of stuff for celebration for Bailey and Sasha, they entered and took selfish. Uh, they took a bunch of selfies with uh, Michael Cole, even though he didn't want anything to do with it. They got in the ring and they talked about how great they were and how good their uh, their friendship was. Bailey was about to read a poem she wrote, where Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross interrupted. As soon as they got to the ring, the Iconics appeared on screen, declared that there's going to be that they're going to win this Sunday. Alexa and Nikki attacked Sasha and Bailey and threw them out of the ring while the Iconics laughed on screen. As the segment ended, Bailey screamed, we'll see you on Sunday. So remember, that's the match. Uh, Miz and Morrison introduced their new music video, but it was interrupted by Braun Strowman's entrance. That was pretty funny. They had a new stupid fucking Backstreet Boys looking music video. It looked old school 90s. And it gets to like midway, like not even like a midway, like just like a chunk of it. And then fucking bam, bam, Braun Strowman comes to the ring, fucks that whole thing up. And then before the match, we saw a video package covering Matt Riddle's history and promised his debut next Friday. So Braun Strowman, Heavy Machinery, went against Dolph Ziggler, uh, Miz and Morrison. It's actually a pretty good tag match, given the fact that you had like the ring falling down on half the side of the fucking thing from all the weight. Uh, Otis abandoned the match at one point because King Corbin was in the back. Uh, I forgot what he said, but it was kind of it was it was a little bit perverted to Mandy about how she's been fantasizing about him because he's a true king. Otis pulled a macho man, went down back there, beat the living hell out of Corbin, grabbed Mandy and dragged her to the ring and said, "Stay right here." That's the same shit Macho Man used to do. I don't know if they're setting something up for her being like, "Fuck this," but definitely seemed like it. Um, 
I, so, I didn't see this, but that that sounds fucking awesome as far as Otis's character because it gives him something that's not just comedy, which is what he needs. It was awesome, man. And then so basically during this whole entire time, Tucker's getting his ass kicked. Um, Braun was taken out outside by some bullshit. So Otis comes in, he attacks everyone and signals after, you know, getting everyone to abandon the ring. LeBron to go around and do his like you know his his normal thing. Well, instead of Braun just shoulder checking these motherfuckers, they sold for him because I mean, it Miz was was all right, but I, you have Dolph Ziggler and fucking John Morrison, so they nailed them into the puxy glass and they bounced off them. It was pretty cool looking. Uh, he later turned <laughs> the match, um, and or he later put Ziggler in the in the ring. Otis did his worm. Uh, and pin Ziggler with the Caterpillar elbow. Uh, and that was the match. No attempt at trying to cash in. Nothing like that. It was all celebration. So I actually liked the last match. I love that that Macho Man-esque stuff. Because he literally, just like Macho Man would say Chris, was like, stay right here. Don't move. And like made her stay there. So um, I guess they are really going that direction. It is giving a little bit of uh, legs. Uh, so I know that you said that you didn't watch anything besides the IC match and that fucking terrible opening, but what'd you think about the breakdown of the rest of the show on SmackDown last night? Well, I think I'm going to go watch the Otis stuff. I'll watch the last match. It's a good tag match, man. I mean, Dolphin, obviously Dolphin, John Morrison can bump and feed like a motherfucker and you have three giant guys. So a lot of the stuff with Tucker and, and, and Dolph was great because they're both obviously wrestlers, so they did a lot of wrestling in the match. I mean, uh, you sold me on Dolph Ziggler and Morrison having a bump off against Plexiglass. It was awesome. So I got to at least see that. So I'll probably watch the last match, but my feelings towards the show in general, I don't even though it. there was some good stuff, I think like that's it's very insulting to anyone that knows anyone that's had an addiction problem. And uh, it's kind of shitty to do that to Jeff Hardy, especially when he's so important to your fucking company for the past 15 years or 20 years at this point. Between that and then having the new day after watching that awesome podcast and having Kofi after they, you know, they, they, they bow, they put up their fist and then Kofi gets a fucking roll up from Shinsuke. Like, really? This week? I guess they're just setting up a tag yeah. match. You can set up a fucking tag team championship match in a better way to me you just do a dq you just do a dq finish if, if you're gonna do a finish where no one wins or you're setting up a match you just do a dq you just have shinsuke fucking hit him with a chair or some shit easy easy no, one, no one's gonna care about this fucking match anyways because you've done dick all with cesaro in <laughs> nakamura for months so i don't understand the fact that they needed a win that's that 50 50 booking shit that everyone hates Yep. All right, so let's go over these matches uh, for for Sunday tomorrow. Uh, first one, Paulo Cruz going against Andrade with Selena Vega obviously in his corner as uh, for the uh, United States Championship. Now here's the thing: if this was Paul Heyman, I would think that Apollo is going to win, but for some reason, I feel like Andrade is going to get that belt. So I'm going to go with Andrade. But I will say that if Andrade loses, this is going to cause more shit between him and Selena. So they could be going that way. But I don't know what was the direction that Vince was wanting to go and what was the direction that Paul was wanting to go. So there is that. Who do you think is going to win this match, Chris? 
I think Apollo is going to hold it because I feel like they have stuff written for him. And the setup to me is still Angel versus um, Andrade. Seeing almost. Call him by his Christian name. His Christian wrestling name. Jesus. All right, so we have Bailey and Sasha going against Alexa and Nikki going against the Iconics. Um, by the way, I, I forgot that was announced. NXT, whoever wins this match is going to be coming to NXT to go against someone. Oh, it's um, Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart for the belt. So that's pretty cool. I was happy to hear about that. Use NXT. Make some women tag teams. Even if they don't win, at least defend it on there. And if we do get some winners from that, that's fucking awesome. Uh, but either way, the triple threat for the women's uh, tag team belts. Um, I hope, I mean, I hope Bailey and Sasha hold them. I mean, they're the best tag team. I mean, they're the best wrestlers, at least, out of them. I don't want it to go back to Alexa and Nikki, and I definitely don't want the Iconics to beat Bailey and Sasha again after fucking WrestleMania. So I'm going to go Bailey and Sasha. Who do you think, Chris? And how do you feel about Shotzi and Tegan getting a chance at the uh, the belts next week? I, I think Bliss and uh, God, why can't I think of her name? They're going to win to go back to NXT. Nikki Cross. Sorry, I can't think of her name. I think they win. They go back to NXT and they start developing tag teams, which I think they tried to set up on Wednesday by setting up an actual female tag team match. So maybe they're positioning that to be a thing shown across their show and to try to build some tag teams. At least that's what I hope for their tag team division, but I have little hope because, like I said, there's two fucking tag teams on Monday Night Raw right now, and they're not really... <laughs> like, there's no competition outside of them. So I have no idea. But if it was me, I would probably... Because I think the, the end goal is still the feud with Bailey and Sasha, unless you... Unless you just merge the brands immediately after this pay-per-view, which is also a possibility. Because they're the top two people on SmackDown. So it'd make more sense Alexa and, and Nikki would move down. And they have history in NXT as well. So that would be what I would do personally. All right. Next one up, we have Jeff Hardy and Sheamus. I mean, I don't want to say this, but I, I think Sheamus is going to win. Who do you think is going to win? Sheamus is probably going to broke kick him and beat him in like five seconds. I'll, uh, Daniel Bryan? Yes. Because they know that pisses fans off. So they're going to shoot a giant bird to the fan base. You might as well shoot the biggest bird of all time. So, <laughs> like, all right. right. So let's, let's, let, let's, let's analyze this. Even if he doesn't beat him in five seconds, if Sheamus beats him, is that the writing on the wall that Jeff Hardy is not resigning with WWE? I mean, I don't think he's re-signing with them after this bullshit anyways. I think that he's just trying to make it through his contract based off what, like, Rebby and Matt are posting on Twitter. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if I'm, he I'm wins, saying, he's I'm not getting a title that, shot if he wins. They're not guaranteeing yeah. anything. I'm just saying, if he loses to Sheamus, especially in five seconds, that to me is like, yeah, that's definitely happening. Jeff Hardy's getting the fuck out of there. If you, uh, if you know he's leaving, why would you not set this up? Instead of doing this piss angle, have like a good couple matches through this, like this. Maybe even put the IC title on one of these guys and then do a retirement match. Because both of these guys, Seamus specifically, has spinosis, uh, stenosis and didn't think he was going to wrestle again. And he left for like a year. 
I guess people forget about that, but you could have built an entire storyline of like the two old dogs in the yard about to have a fight and loser loser leaves town. Why not do that instead of a pissing? And you can still know, get man. Jeff Hardy out and you can have a good match out of it. But w- instead of what they're going to do is they're just going to piss in Jeff Hardy's Cheerios and be like, oh, fuck you guys, which is going to suck for them because... I mean, if you're going to do the angle with Jeff Hardy having a drug problem, they should have done what Impact did, where you just go balls out with it, and Jeff Hardy comes to the ring smoking a cigarette and a trench coat. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you know, like, where he's embraced it, like, where he's, like, a more of a stone-cold Steve Austin asshole who's Eric Bischoff's puppet. Like, there's other ways to do this that other companies have done better, but it's still a shitty thing to do. So, I mean, I don't care. I think Sheamus is going to win. All right. Um, I think Seamus, though, in all seriousness, whenever he does put up, it's it's funny because of his skill persona and how unlikable he is. But outside of, you know, wrestling, he's actually a really good dude. And I think that he's going to have, and I think uh, DDP said the same thing, that he's going to have like a similar concept when it comes to trying to get people to be more nutrition savvy. And, and he's talked about wanting to build up his own workout routines and has that one podcast where he goes on workouts with different people. So, you know, Seamus has definitely got other stuff to do. I think that he's going to try to ride this as long as he can. But the thing is, it's Jeff Hardy. He's obviously getting just fucked over and Seamus is going to beat him. So even if they had a retirement match, Seamus, I would think would beat him. I mean, I hope they're not, if they're, I hope they're not this petty, but knowing that Seamus has legitimately given people concussions and injured a lot of fucking people by being stiff, I hope that he doesn't get told to go in there and be super stiff. And hopefully he would have enough respect not to do that. Yeah. Oh, here's another stiff wrestler, or not really even stiff, just clumsy. We have the Raw Women's Championship, uh, Asuka going against Nia Jax. Yeah, Asuka's going to beat the fuck out of Nia Jax. Her and Charlotte got more matches to make. Um, do you see it any differently? No, I I mean, the only other thing you could do is have Nia win and then have Carrie as an underdog babyface. So I'm assuming that Nia's losing here. Because Carrie probably fears for her life after wrestling Nia in those matches the past four weeks or whatever. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we have Braun Strowman. Hey, uh, do, you, do you remember when Ronda was unsafe? I don't even want to go there. <laughs> Fucking stupid. She beat up. She beat up Lexi. You beat up Lexi, you dumbass. Uh, anyways, Braun Strowman going against both The Miz and John Morrison, two-on-one handicap match for the Universal Championship, something that's never been done and is not going to start because Braun Strowman's going to beat both of them, and then I feel Bray Wyatt's going to enter uh, as The Fiend and take out Braun Strowman after the match. That's what I predict. What do you think, Chris? I agree with you. I think that's probably 100% correct. I think it's still weird that Braun is being positioned as a babyface and and all of this, even though he's kind of a puppet. But it, I don't know. I, I agree. I, I agree with your synopsis on that match. That's probably what's going to happen, especially because we haven't seen Bray in forever. It seems like. No, we haven't. All right, the greatest wrestling match of all time: Edge versus Randy Orton. 
I actually think this is going to be a pretty damn good match. Um, because I think that Edge is a damn good performer. I think Randy's a damn good performer. Um, and I think, you know, Randy's got to get this win because we probably got to get three matches out of this because Randy lost the first one. So even if there's nefarious bullshit, he's going to beat Edge and they're going to go to a third match before Randy maybe goes to NXT. That's what I'll predict. What do you think, Chris? Oh, and well, by the way, if all of this will not be the greatest match of all time. That's my other prediction. Well, yeah, it's not going to go 60 minutes and be Okada versus Omega <laughs> or some shit or Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler or, or, or even go 20 minutes and be Randy Savage versus Richie Steamboat. Yeah. I, or, you know, any Funk, Flair, Lawler <laughs> match, basically. Any banger Sean, of a match. It's not any Sean or Taker match, you know, <laughs> any any Bret Hart versus Stone Cold, Bret Hart versus Sean, <laughs> Bret versus Owen, Bret versus British Bulldog at Wembley Stadium. Anyways, um, yeah, I agree with you. Um, now that I thought more about it, at the beginning of this, I thought this was like a true story or whatever. Ciampa leaving all pissed off. Maybe Ciampa fucks up Randy Orton and ruins this match so that they don't have to pay off the greatest match of all time. That's an interesting way of doing, going about it, man. I don't know. All right, so our last match for the WWE Championship, we have Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley. And um, I think this is going to be a close match, very physical. Probably not going to be the prettiest match, obviously. I think Bobby's going to really take him to his limits, but Drew will win. But this might this might give him another person or another match out of Bobby Lashley. The main reason I say that is because apparently uh, Vince Kabosh, the original idea, which was Jinder, was going to be the next person to go against um, uh, Drew. That's what they were building up. I guess he soured on that idea. Um, I don't know if you realize that statistically, it was proven recently that the decline in ratings from SmackDown, uh, the, the champion at the time where it all started happening was when they put the belt on Jinder Mahal. Yeah, oh. no shit. <laughs> Ever since then, they've declined in ratings. So I don't know that that has anything to do with it, but it might. But um, yeah, I'm gonna, uh, Drew McIntyre, not a lengthy match, but a very physical match, and it might set up another match with him and Bobby, probably because of their, Bobby's manager. Um, what do you think, Chris? If, if I'm booking this, I just have Bobby Lashley win because of MVP. Wow. And it's the shock moment that WWE loves. It's perfect for them. And then, well, it's, you know, it's like he just immediately you, wins it back, but you could easily do that. Yeah, all right. So, so here's the thing if Brock might be coming back, which I don't think he would, do you put Brock against Drew again? Since he to try to redeem himself, or do you put Brock and Paul Heyman versus Bobby and uh, MVP in a match that me and you might not think of a dream match, but people have been clamoring for for a very long time? I mean, I think Brock and Paul Heyman are smart enough to just scoff at that match, Bobby Lashley versus Brock Lesnar, because it's not going to be a good match. Yeah, I think Brock. <laughs> It would definitely have to be Brock trying to get a good match out of him. So, uh, either way, I mean, 
And I mean, I don't have like Bobby's fine. It's not like he's bad. He's just there's nothing. Stephen Lumbering. <laughs> yes, and uh, he you know literally I'm gonna... has. I'm not, and I I, I think people. But similar to how I feel about Batista's. You're cutting out pretty bad, bud. I think I've lost you. I think it's the. Um... What you're saying with Lashley reminding you of Batista, I just think Batista was a better in-ring worker and more of a personality. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a hundredfold. It's mostly because he has that uh, belly button tattoo. Or that giant dick. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if anyone's wondering why I said that, if you watch any of Conrad's shows, he always tries to ask Bruce Pitcher because there's a rumor that Batista is very well endowed. So he'll like, you know, just go in normal conversation and be like, hey, so how big is Batista's dick? And that will be, that's just a <laughs> play on joke. I mean, I guess like, you know, if you have a belly button tattoo, you have to be very well endowed <laughs> and as big as Batista. <laughs> when you decide you're going to get the sublime sunset around your belly button. You need you need to definitely be well endowed and as big as Batista. Oh, God, fucking a! Oh Lord. Anyways, that was another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, guys. <laughs> uh, long one, very long episode, you know. But hey, if you guys split it up, you guys split it up. We still had a lot of great things to say. Went over a lot of news items. Very excited about wrestling. We got MLW coming back tonight on YouTube for free. And then tomorrow night, if you have the WWE Network, obviously you can watch Backlash. We just went over our matches. But thank everyone for listening, uh, whether it be on YouTube, whether it be on Spotify, Stitcher, whether it be on any platform, iTunes. You know, thank you for listening to us. And if you don't know how to listen to us uh, on maybe say you're on YouTube and you want to try it on something else, just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance on any of those platforms that I told you about or any downloadable platform. You'll find our episodes. Uh, we usually put out two episodes a week. We record them on Thursday and Saturday. usually have them a day or so after we record them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, love new listeners. Come and find me on Facebook. Uh, you can look me up at Dane Alves. Uh, you can go to Geek Vibes Nation, join the conversation. And also, you can find me at DanaHouse42 on Twitter. Uh, Chris, say goodbye to the good people. Plug anything you want to plug. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, long-term time listeners, super love. New listeners, extra loves. Come in here and get these hugs. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, if you like hockey, at skates to throats podcast we're going to be uh putting out some new episodes because hockey is coming back sports are coming back and uh hockey was one of the first to do it there is a crazy 24 team tournament to determine the stanley cup finals this sounds so fucking wrestling now that i'm saying it out loud but yes check that out we'll have all the coverage we got uh, a bunch of stories coming up uh it'll probably be next week because as i said earlier 
congratulations dakota and jennifer they had a baby together that's my co-host and, and his uh significant other um that's an amazing and incredible and i'm gonna wrap this up you can hit me at, at chris r Patton on twitter or christopher.r.patton on facebook or at chris r Patton on instagram which i don't use but you can still message me shit maybe i'll see it who knows i have the app so there's a chance uh <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Dane, as always. And uh, this is a fun show. Always fun, always doing our things. Uh, like like we said, big rest in peace to, you know, um, Dusty Rhodes, Gene Wilder. Uh, it was his birthday. I'm trying to think. There was another major person that I loved. Um, Mr. Wrestling was, number two. Yeah, I was upset. Besides, obviously, the passing of Mr. Wrestling two it was another wonderful. And oh, um, Denny O'Neill, oh, one of my favorite writers for comic books, wrote so much good stuff in the seventies for Batman, Green Arrow, and invented Optimus Prime. Just passed away. Great writer artist. Uh, and yeah, rest in peace to all of them. And love you guys. Keep on listening every week. Let the Wrestling Geeks Alliance reign supreme up in here. Oh, yeah. And you guys have a wonderful weekend. Peace out.